This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You have declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred, my motives. And night fell on a different world. And Iblis is thinking, you know, I should be getting this position, not Adam, and this guy is created from dirt. And how does the army feel about you being head of the Temple of Set? And the conspiracy theorists can say what they will, but... I want you to give me power over Adam, and I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. The people have, have so much to gain and have such a material motive. Welcome back to Subliminal Jihad, episode 92. I am your co-host, Dimitri. I'm Khaled. And today, we're back already with another Grotto Q&A installment. We're playing catch-up. Trying to catch up. This is like kind of part two of ten, but it's like, we're just going to call it eleven. It's eleven. Yeah, so it's not complicated. Yeah. Yeah, Nice and simple. Yeah. Yeah. We got like eleven questions to get Mm -hmm. to today, and I think we got some really interesting ones in there. So maybe we should just jump in and Mm -hmm. go for it, right? Let's go. Yeah. Okay. I'll read the first one. Yeah. This is from Red Arrow. And they ask, I'm curious what you guys think about the Israeli Nazi hunting operations in the 20th century. Do you think that those were a point of contention between U.S. and Israeli intelligence or just a smokescreen for paperclip? Hmm. Hmm. Wow. What do do you think? Well, since this question was asked, we did our episode about Martin Borman. Yeah. And we've embarked on our our series of like post-war Nazis in exile and in the couple of books that we read about that, the question of like the Mossad and the Israeli like Nazi hunting operations came up. And I feel like it, it, it kind of sums up maybe how I'm looking at it right now. I'm curious to see more information of kind of like what lengths did they go to and then why were there like some Nazis they went after and others they didn't. But mm-hmm. it seemed like the general gist of it was they wanted to go after people who were like directly involved with planning the Holocaust, but unless there was like some other kind of reason to leave them alone, because I don't know if you could really say Martin Borman was not, you know, involved in the planning of the Holocaust, you know what I mean? But like Adolf Eichmann was, you know, uh, yeah, like it's like, I don't see the real meaningful distinction between like Adolf Eichmann and Martin Borman, but apparently the Mossad did to some extent. Well, yeah, not to give Israel, like, too much credit for, you know, wanting to kill Nazis, but I'm sure that a lot of them genuinely were, like, people in what became, like, the Israeli intelligence services, uh, they were actually interested in killing Nazis or getting revenge for the Holocaust. I'm sure that was a pathology for a lot of people, but I think that was easily pushed to the wayside 
as soon as there were any kind of other considerations. Totally. Um, you know, like geopolitical wasn't a super high priority. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I have to assume to some extent that maybe their reticence to not go after certain Nazis did have something to do with things like Operation Paperclip yeah. and the U.S. sheltering and protecting these Nazis because like, as we've said many times, like I think we, we pretty roundly reject the like tail wagging the dog theory of like, like as critical as we are of Israel, the idea that like Israel made America, like do love into itself or like Israel made us like, you know, try to like overthrow Syria. Israel made us invade Iraq. And it's like, there's elements uh, going on there where there's like, a, like illusion or excuse, you know, that we have to do this for Israel. I mean, Israel does have like a degree of autonomy in some way. In fact, I could see down the line, like Israel coming under the auspices of another power and sort of breaking off from the U.S., but there's a very symbiotic relationship. And yeah, especially historically, like, yeah, you do want to avoid the tail wagging the dog in that. Uh, and, of you know, that goes into an even bigger thing in like the world of like uh, conspiracies and things like that. You know, there's always these, you know, really uh, Israel focused and uh, yeah, Jew focused. Yeah, uh, exactly. Spins you always, you don't want to commit the what Lenin called the socialism of fools, uh, anti-Semitic uh, conspiracy theorizing. Instead, you want to do accurate conspiracy theorizing, which <laughs> yes. is to you know point out, you know, the ruling class and like imperialism uh and how israel like fits into that scheme it does have uh, a certain degree of like autonomy but i think at the end of the day they they yield to the united states and what yeah. it wants to do especially in as something as delicate as states in the world uh yield to the united states yeah or at least exa- make concessions yeah. to them make ample concessions to the united states and i think totally. that was definitely the case in this regard i think that it's very easy to rationalize as well. Like the ultimate victory over the Nazis for Israel is like the continued existence and prosperity of Israel. So of like letting one guy go, you know, who's ultimately defeated to like go off to South America or to go help build a rocket or do an MK ultra experiment, et cetera, you know, that is, uh, justifiable. Um, if it comes, you know, if it allows the sort of further uh, protection and the uh, persistent relationship with the U.S., yeah, yeah, and even and definitely, the good relationship with the Nazis in some cases, you know, there were some people who were Nazis who just ended up working for Israel in some. As capacities. that one, yeah. uh, I forget it was a Gestapo or an SS veteran said, like, "Oh, the Mossad, they're good, but they learned everything they know from us." Yeah, you know, maybe that right. was an exaggeration to some degree, but also, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, well, sometimes Scorzani, certain things. Yeah, who Scorzani. has been sort of fingered as being, you know, involved in the JFK assassination by some. Uh, mm-hmm. He was someone who worked for Israel uh, for the Mossad after having been a Nazi. Uh, our favorite uh, rank in the uh, SS, uh, Obersturm von Führer. Uh, oh, yeah. Obersturm von SS. Führer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, cold wars make strange bedfellows, right? And mm-hmm. just as it might be shocking on the surface that some Nazis would choose to work with Israel, you know, it might be shocking that the Mossad would, like, in some cases, turn a blind eye to hunting certain Nazis or also hire them as like paramilitary trainers for your spy services. But if you look at it, like you're right, I think you're really right that like for them, it's not necessarily like the victory over like fascism 
that defines like Israel's Certainly victory. Not. <laughs> it, it's the Certainly persistence not of Israel. In the abstract, yeah. Not really, yeah. yeah. And if you look at the the battle or lines even of the Cold War, really, yeah, like uh, you know, yeah, you might say yeah. that, but you know. Well, I think you saw. What do you see in a transference? I think it, it's kind of like I don't know. Uh, just seeing some like interviews with like Israelis on the street. I forget what video I watched like last year where a lot of them were just like voicing very casual opinions about how like we might just have to wipe out all the Palestinians or like they're animals, you know, like yeah. they're animals. What do you expect us to do? Mm. And, you know, think, just saying like really like kind of scary shit. And it's interesting, like the transference that occurred where like the the real menace to Israel, to Jews and stuff is now basically like Arabs and Muslims like mm. in the region and how, and they've basically taken on like the evil mantle that the Nazis held for a while. But now it's like, well, the Nazi the Germans don't, you know, have that mantle anymore. Even fascists from like other parts of the countries, like that, you know, that maybe were allied with the Nazis, you know, you saw when like a lot of arms uh, trafficking stuff and like Iran Contra, there were always Israeli connections and, you know, Israel was involved in like supporting solidarity in Poland and like subverting the Soviet Union. So they were comfortable on that in the kind of the world anti-communist league, if you will, both like mm -hmm. just ideologically, but also literally um, on the yes. side of, you know, like destroying Bolshevism, which is like what the, that was the goal of the Nazis. So, well, you know, it's you know, as, inevitable they might yeah. come together. As I think many have pointed out, Israel in a way, especially today, like depends on or enjoys the idea of or profits from the existence of anti-Semitism in the world. Like they want anti-Semitism to exist. And they if you look at like Israeli media or Israel sympathetic media in the United States, what they're always doing is portraying everywhere that's not Israel as an anti-Semitic hellhole. You know, yeah. and Israel has to exist because everywhere else is just rife with anti-Semitism. Even someone like Barry Weiss or whatever, you know, they'll oh, be, for sure. they're all about like anti-Semitism. And if there's anti-Semitism to verify or to validate their constant uh, whining about anti-Semitism, all the better. Like they want that to be the case in the same way that, you know, uh, during the sort of heyday of ISIS, you would always hear like Obama and his auxiliary saying things like they want, you know, is Islamophobia, you know, they want to drive a wedge between Islam and the West, you know, or something like that. <laughs> it's the same exact yeah. idea. And yeah, I think that yeah, I think I mentioned this before. I think I might have mentioned our Martin Borman episode, but if you look at, like, early Israeli propaganda posters trying to encourage people to go out and work on kibbutz and come, you know, make uh, whatever, like, aliyah or whatever they call it uh, yeah, to, yeah. to Israel, you know, it's always, like, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, muscular, like, it looks like a Nazi poster, you know? It's, like, a little yeah. bit more Art Deco, you know? But no, for sure. The we imagery is very much, like the muscular Jew, you know, uh, I mean, and, and you know, that never gets talked about also like the kind of, I don't know, I think there is, I'm not Jewish, but like for my like life observations, I don't know, there's a certain like, like white, like high Ashkenazi privilege versus like, especially in the 20th century, because most of the Jews who were killed in the Holocaust were like poor Eastern European Jews who mm -hmm. I think even in immigrant communities in America, the wealthier German and English Jews were more financially successful. They were like the the lace curtain Jews or whatever. And they looked down upon the flood of like poor Jewish immigrants that were coming from like Poland and the Russian Empire and places like that. And probably looked down on like Sephardic Jews, I would imagine, as well. 
And so there's even like there was a class dynamic that, you know, well, of course, they really couldn't be Nazis. Uh, A lot of these people were like, you know, capitalists or whatever. And, you know, and most of those people got out of the way of the Nazi menace very early and didn't weren't killed in the Holocaust. And a lot of them went to Israel. Yeah, there were people even like that guy who AOC uh, really admired, the guy who wrote all those sort of self-help books based on his experience of being in Auschwitz, who, you know, oh, it's horrible that he name. ended up in Auschwitz. I forget. Uh, Eli Weissel? No. No, that's the guy who wrote uh, Night, right? Yeah, I forgot that AOC is uh, supposed to be Jewish. Uh, I mean, maybe. Wait, AO- no, AOC is supposed to be Jewish? Yeah, she's, she said she's Jewish. What? Um, are you are you getting yes. her mixed up with uh, Salazar? No, no, I'm not getting mixed. Yeah, I thought you were going to ask about that. Was the case because no, she, uh, I think, pretended to be Jewish. Uh, yes, I think Julia falsely. Salazar did pretend to be Jewish, yeah. but AOC also revealed her Jewish heritage at a Hanukkah celebration. Um, what? Yes, I didn't even know that. Yep. Okay, you're right. In 2018, she revealed she's descended from Jews who fled Spain during the Spanish Inquisition. Her quote is, I knew it. I sensed it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I mean, okay. Whatever. I sensed Um, it. I just had such a powerful connection when I was brought out to Israel to see, you know, how great it is. But yeah, I'm not sure. I I, I need to look up the name of that guy. But he was like a doctor who did like weird like lobotomy experiments on people. Part of the reason why he ended up, you know, such a target was because he sort of rejected many opportunities to leave because he still believed that there was an opportunity you know, to make a life for himself, like to f- somehow fit into the Nazi vision, despite being Jewish. Victor Frankl? Yeah. Oh, Austrian Victor Frankl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, Victor Frankl. Yeah, the Frankl. founder of logotherapy. Yeah, now it's coming back to me, right? Oh, yeah. I, uh, this guy is interesting. Okay, he's Austrian. There were, there were a number, actually, of... Uh, Austrian, like Jewish Austrian doctors and psychologists and stuff who uh, either fled, you know, Europe right before the war or like survived the Holocaust and then came to America. And there's there's one guy, Dr. Felix Polk, that we're definitely going to talk about one day, a Bay Area psychiatrist who uh, died in a very uh, extremely sketchy murder. But like he's the kind of person that he might have been a CIMK ultra doctor but he's the kind of person that you would almost expect to be like a paperclip Nazi, but he was Jewish, so probably couldn't have been. But that doesn't mean... I, I think he also... That guy studied at the Tavistock Institute in the 60s and stuff, so... I mean, I it think goes... That, you know. It's even... Like, the stuff that he did, like, under the Nazis is truly insane. Like, for one, there's an article called The Lie of Viktor Frankl in Tablet, which you know, Tablet is not, like, by any stretch, like, an anti-Zionist or, like, non-Israel sympathetic magazine at all, but they even wrote this article that is, like, uh, you know, in 1941, Dr. Vicar Frankel was the director of neurology at the Rothschild Hospital for Jews in Vienna. Austrian Jews were killing themselves at the rate of about 10 a day, and Frankel was determined to save them. Frankel tried to bring the suicidal patients back by injecting them with amphetamines, but it didn't work. And so Frankel bored holes in the skulls of his Jewish patients who had taken overdoses of pills in hopes of escaping their Nazi tormentors and jolted their brains with Providen, an amphetamine popular in the Third Reich. The suicidal patients revived, but only for 24 hours. One wonders Oof. what agonies they went through in their last day of life with Frankel's amphetamines coursing through their trepanned heads. Jeez. Um, all wow. right. Wait, uh, and so AOC like 
praised Viktor Frankl. Um, yeah, she did. I mean, he, like, had a whole career after surviving Auschwitz as kind of like a new agey self-help guy. But, yeah, he, like, this article, I think, makes an interesting point. And this is kind of shows the way that some of these convergences happen. It says, the Nazis, in fact, shared Frankel's goal of preventing Jews from killing themselves since they had decreed Jewish suicide to be illegal. And I think that that's the case, actually, in a way, with, with how Nazis perceive Zionism. I mean, they weren't f- fond of Jews, period. But when you had to make a determination between whether you like the idea of Jews all going out to Palestine and staying in Europe, yeah. obviously you would prefer the former. Um, and mm-hmm. that is what many Nazis expressed. But anyway, so... This is the sort of point that he Frankel had a different motive. He clung to the hope that Jews could have a life worth living in a Europe ruled by the Nazis. Even after the war began, Frankel stubbornly refused to believe that Hitler's regime was a death sentence for Jews like him. In November 1941, Frankel received a visa to emigrate to the United States from Austria, but he decided to stay. He could not imagine being a well-to-do Jewish doctor in Manhattan, he wrote after the war, at the cost of abandoning the people he loved. So... He decided to stay and thought that maybe it would be okay, you know. So I think there's interesting a lot of things like that. Yeah, um, I'm reading a Psychology Today article from 2017 saying, "Is it okay to criticize a saint on humanizing Viktor Frankl?" I guess there's a, a psychology PhD, Timothy Pytel, who wrote maybe a book called "On Authoritarian Therapy," and I guess this guy got a lot of flack for questioning uh, certain aspects of. Frankel's kind of life and biography and a lot of people like lashed out at him hard and said uh, you are going to have friends you don't want and enemies you don't need (laughs) but I'm not sure exactly what I just saw because uh, it was in a reply from uh, AOC which I think was it looks like it was deleted that was like great read for today like man's search for meeting by Victor blah 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 man's search for meeting uh, yeah yeah, that was in 2019 when she said that. Um, and uh, Club de Cordelier uh, posted that basically uh, because of his involvement in ghoulish Nazi medical experiments, none of Viktor Frankl's works, including the one recommended by AOC, are sold in the bookstore of the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C. More on AOC's hero, Viktor Frankl, whose life story, quote, exemplifies the experience of many Austrians whose response to Nazism was some mixture of resistance, accommodation, and collaboration, and after the war, denial and burial of the past. And, oh, she did that on Holocaust Memorial Day. She recommended this guy's book. I'm not sure. I guess he was also a fraud. Well, yeah, he wasn't, like, qualified to perform brain surgery or anything like that, but he did. He, like, yeah, bored he did a lot of lobotomies and gave them amphetamines to like resurrect them when they tried to commit suicide. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess he he mischaracterized his stay in Auschwitz uh, a little bit, which is obviously a very of, touchy yeah, he subject. He made up a bunch but, of lies about what happened there. You know, he had himself like giving an inspiring speech in his book. You know, things like oh, that. Really? Like, oh wow! Didn't, probably didn't happen. Uh, yeah, yeah, it says yeah. that he was just held there in depot briefly and then shipped to Dachau where he was numbered and uh, shaved. But anyways, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's a thorny relationship, I think, when it comes to the Mossad hunting Nazis and also their relationship with the U.S. intelligence, you know? Yeah, it's a touchy subject, but touchy I subject think that and a 
when one looks into it, there's a lot of uh, convergence that happens between, like, because outside of, like, the extreme, the final solution that Martin Borman engineered where he was going to massacre yeah. all the Jews in Europe, even before that, there were things like uh, the Hevara Agreement, you oh, know, yeah. where yeah. they tried to work out emigration of a bunch of German Jews to Palestine. And definitely now we see in the way that uh, Israel's sort of racial politics uh, and sort of uh, ethnic politics uh, and identitarian politics manifest, there are definitely uh, similarities there. I mean, like the whole idea of like, you know, Lebensraum and things like that, there's a lot of resonance between sort of the ideas core to Zionism. And it's not that like Zionism was something that was you know, a beautiful idea. It certainly, like, in, like, conceptually isn't as horrible as it's ended up being in the way that Israel has evolved. But there definitely are, like, there was opposition to Zionism at the time. You know, there were many Jews who already were living in Palestine, but they they weren't, you know, like, an oppressive ethnostate. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, exactly. many, like there was a ton of opposition within the Jewish community to the idea of Zionism. And it was associated with that kind of fascist politics. Uh, yeah, You know, definitely. for instance, like the extermination of Yiddish, you know, because it wasn't, you know, it was tainted in some way. Well, uh, see, that's an example of kind of like that, that sort of, uh, that bias against like the poor Eastern European Jews is that the, a lot of yeah. them primarily spoke Yiddish, which is like a mix of all these like, you know, Slavic languages and German and all these other things. And so that has been, yeah, it, it almost is extinguished, except in certain, probably the Lubavitchers, I think still speak it. Yeah. But but even the Lubavitchers are like anti-Israel, which is kind of yeah. funny because they're extremely like religious and traditionalist, but they think that Israel is a, uh, you know, like a, a false, almost like an antichrist attempt right. to bring about like the Mashiach or something yes, like that. Right. Like, and uh, so, yeah. until the Messiah comes, like, the temple can't come back, there can't be Israel, or something like that. I, I yeah. don't know exactly what the <laughs> rationale behind it is. But, yeah. Like, are they like anti Semites? Hmm, you know? Mm. Like, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure. I don't well, know. Well, some uh, people, yeah, would, well, they would just dodge that somehow, you yeah. know? Uh, because all, uh, you can't be opposed to Israel without being anti-Semitic. You simply can't. Um, There's no legitimate criticism of Israel. It cannot happen. Says was Bappen. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You want to kill every single Jew, just murder them all. Uh, like Stalin. Yeah, just like Stalin. He tried like he to. he would have. Yeah, yeah, he tried. Um, he tried. <laughs> okay. uh, but anyway, so I think we got kind of away from the question a little bit. We went off on a tangent, as usual, but to summarize i think that yeah there was some contention but also i think that like the israeli intelligence and the the sort of people who were doing the nazi hunting the sort of architects of the nazi hunting operations in israel after the war were in many ways willing to let this slide in the name of higher goals which they saw as being opposed to you know the extermination of of jews that nazis attempted to bring about Um, Yeah, yeah for sure um, okay. Well, do you want to read the next question? Yeah, I'll here? do eight. All right. Eight. Uh, piss piss asks, uh, 
Nice. Okay. Cool. What's up cool. with the dracularity of Nick Land and the CCRU? According to The Guardian, after the renegade group was basically ousted from Warwick, Land and some members moved to Leamington, and several members moved into the house that Aleister Crowley was born in. Apparently, this is around the time they started getting more into the occult. Then Land was flirting with NRX and his weird hyper-racism thing and everything in the mid-2010s. Though I believe he has distanced himself formally from the NRX movement, his Twitter has heavy boomer vibes. It's true. Of course, Land and the CCRU's ideas have percolated up in the altosphere. Capitalism as demonic AI from the future, accelerationism, philosophy of Bitcoin, and even spin-off schools of thought like speculative materialism. Now Land lives in Neo-Shanghai. I'm not sure what to make of it all. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's a huge sus lord. Um, Big and sus lord. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think that any of Nick Land's work was really that compelling or interesting at any time. But I mean, I think that uh, piss piss your analysis is uh, quite spot on in that. Yeah. The development of all these ideas that we see all the time, like, uh, you know, capitalism as like a, this sort of Lovecraftian stuff, which is like cute, but I don't know. I find it a little bit kitschy and a little bit corny. Uh, maybe it's just so played out. Like we talked a little yeah. bit about Reza Aslan and Cyclonopedia and I think or that Re- Reza Nagarastani. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Reza Aslan's. Oh my God. A different Reza. <laughs> Reza Shah Pahlavi in his book. Yeah. Uh, no, but uh, yeah, Reza Nagarastani. And uh, I think that part of the reason why maybe, you know, not to say that he isn't like, you know, cringe in, in some of the same ways still, but I think that part of the reason maybe why he soured on that book, uh, as seems to be the case, is because of how sort of Nick Landy like some of it is like the whole idea of hyperstition of sort of creating uh reality through uh you know belief or practice that yeah hyper hyperstition speculative materialism the same sort of idea i don't know yeah but now he is just this weird you know i think in a way i mean it's the banal i mean it's like very pernicious but there definitely is a banality to this type of of pernicious thing where like yeah of course now he's just like a run-of-the-mill conserva boomer who's like pooping his diaper over <laughs> you know like woke culture or something and like I talking about so. how like yeah. trump will save us all like he's cool. he's ranting about cancel culture on substack yeah <laughs> so yes. yeah i tried reading one of his most recent articles about like crypto and philosophy and it was it was so <laughs> kind of try hard with like it's like academic paper like structuring of like the different sections and well, it started yeah. with like 12 different quotes which started off almost like kind of interesting but he has like a very boomery like wow like like techno optimism of just like wow crypto is like what we've all been waiting for but then just like buries it and just like like philosophical like theory brain gibberish that doesn't i'm sorry like doesn't mean anything like it it's just yeah. stupid like i don't want to have to go back and read a bunch of guitari or like deleuze to like have to parse what the fuck he's talking about because it at the end of the day like he's not i don't know like what's the point of being such an edgy radical if you're not even that intellectually curious about like what you're talking about except to spin a bunch of like obscure ass theories and i don't know like his influence it is interesting how he seems to have had a lot of influence and the ccru crew in general and like mark fisher who mm-hmm. i don't know like it like these guys just started to really like pop up on the scene and i started seeing them talked about you know around like maybe 2015 2016 
And then in like when after Trump came around and like people learned about like neo reactionaries and like Curtis Yarvin, who still is yeah, like people are kind still of has a like weird respect people have a respect for him. Yeah. Well, because I think there's like this thing where people, you know, imagine a conservative as being like, you know, this like movie Bob, you know, where he's like, they're all drinking toxic water uh, and they're just stupid subhumans and zombies and orcs. And like, so when they see someone who politically is like fascist or who believes in like some kind of, uh, you know, monarchical, uh, hyper authoritarian government or something and espouses it in an intellectual way. They're like just a gog and an awe, you know, that even happened with Richard Spencer, who isn't like, you know, an intellectual juggernaut by any stretch. But I just think that it's the dissonance between like the sort of, uh, it like archetype of this like slack jawed yokel who is, you know, voting against his own interests because, you know, he's religious hmm. or something. Um, well, I mean, do you think it's, like, people like Movie Bob, though, that are, like, even noticing, like, people like Nick Land? Well, I think I that... Like I don't know if Movie Bob himself young. notices him, but I think that it is... Well, for instance, like, people like Richard Spencer. Richard Spencer, I think, is sort of uh, a pop intellectual version of Nick Land. I mean... Like Nick Land published his hyper racism article on alternative right, right? Uh, yeah, back in I, 2014. So yeah, that was so way I think that, that you know, was on the map. and I think that's sort of the the sort of mystification at Richard Spencer and his ability to sort of argue for his ideas like in a sort of intellectual language and to kind of at least go to something resembling philosophical first principles. I think that a lot of people I were sort of dumbstruck by that. And, like, really, in many ways, bamboozled because of their inability to do that themselves about their own beliefs, uh, which is a very important thing to be able to do. Like, I remember there was this play that came out called, like, Heroes of the Fourth Turning, and it was just about, like, you know, these pseudo-intellectual right-wingers, kind of like Vermeule or something, you know. Or uh, Bannon. He's like, obsessed Yeah, with or the even turning. Bannon, like, you know, oh, he read a single book. You know, that's, like, the thing. <laughs> like, people are in awe of this. But, I, you know, on another, on a more interesting tact, perhaps... I think that that stuff of like sort of, uh, you know, post-humanities, like, uh, or the idea of like hyperstition or, you know, accelerationism, maybe like beyond the human in some way or like the, the, you know, I think that that's actually had an influence in like the sort of quote unquote left or at least like, you know, post-structuralist mainstream of academia that Nick Uh Land is sort of inveighing against, you know, like this idea of yeah, like imagining uh, a sort of new paradigm and an emphasis on cybernetics or even a magic and different epistemologies. Like some of that stuff I think has like had an impact on like, you could say there's a, there's a similarity between that and like, you know, even a Donna Haraway or Karen Barad. Oh yeah. I could see that. Uh, Yeah. Donna Haraway. Like we need to make kin with critters and reimagine. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, then she like I gives think that like Kamala Harris money. Manifesto uh, predates what Nick Land was doing, but I think that well, maybe some of his stuff bleeds I don't know. into I, I, that same general trend. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it has to have a little bit of a constituency in Silicon Valley. I I'm get sure that it does. Big Peter Thiel vibes from oh, absolutely. this whole milieu. Yeah. I, I would see that like he's somebody. I think he is keeping something, uh, I forget what it's called. I think it's called Urbit, this thing that's like in beta right now that I think 
Curtis Yarvin was like the progenitor of, but it was being built by like a foundation that has like gotten a ton of money from Peter Thiel. And it's supposed to be like a, I don't know, like a trustless, like blockchain based, like on Ethereum kind of (laughs) distributed internet that like isn't controlled by central servers, which I guess maybe is like the white whale for certain Silicon Valley libertarians. And I don't know, like at the same time, like Nick Land nowadays is like living in Shanghai and like, I don't know if he's still talking about hyper racism. I went back and read that essay from 2014 and it's like a bunch of just like ramblings about how kind of about eugenics, but like he's talking about it in a kind of race realism kind of way and talking about like normal racism is like going to be. Yeah supersede like both like like wake tottery uh that wants to like blend our genetic pools together into like one you know utopian like undifferentiated mass and then the kind of normal racists that want to uh keep the gene pools somewhat regulated by these conceptions of like nationhood and race and whatever uh they're both gonna get superseded by this new technological like age that we're gonna move into where the wealthy and like the elite super class he brings up like a weird kind of interesting quote that somebody was like kind of a bizarre thing that somebody was speculating about like how space like when we start space colonizing then the people like that are going to be chosen he's quoting somebody else here the people that are going to be chosen are probably going to be on the same lines that we choose our astronauts which means they're going to be like better oh here he says gregory Cochran, right yeah they're going to eugenically yeah, be better so then suggest yeah, yeah he suggests space colonization will inevitably function as a highly selective genetic filter unless extreme political intervention is taken to prevent this quote one generally assumes that space colonists assuming that there ever are any will be picked individuals some somewhat like existing astronauts the best out of hordes of applicants they'll be smarter than average healthier than average saner than average and not just by a little since all these traits are significantly heritable some highly so so we have to expect that their descendants will be different different above the neck they likely be on average smarter than any existing ethnic group if a lunar colony really took off early colonists might account for a disproportionate fraction of the population just as puritans do in the u.s and the loonies might continue to have inordinate amounts of the right stuff indefinitely i just thought that was hilarious because it's like I don't know. It's like validating this weird eugenic like theory that like, like upper like high wasps in like new England fucking think about themselves that like somehow they were of like the hardiest Puritan stock. So that's why they're all still in control of like Northern trust and all the insurance companies Mm -hmm. and are like massively overrepresented in politics and business and culture and society, et cetera. You know, like, so, I mean, I don't know, instead of attacking that, (laughs) these kind of, He's taking this very seriously. Um, right. He's you taking know, this very seriously. Eventually. Well, you know, yeah, exactly. He's thinking on another level than we foolish people who are concerned with racism. You know, that's all going to become irrelevant once we have like a Gattaca class of super engineered people. And then by that standard, the racists and the anti-racists of today will then be, you know, practically speaking in an alliance against the new in a defensive fraternity, a defensive yeah. fraternity. <laughs> when yes. they recognize that traditionally differentiated human populations are being torn asunder on an axis of variation that dwarfs all of their established concerns. The end. Yeah. Um, nice. I mean, you know, 
like he, he's getting it like an interesting idea there, but I feel like his positionality with it is just like off somewhere else that I can't really re- I, like I can't connect with, you know, like yeah. for me that that's kind of like, okay, it sounds like the global elites are going to want to start engineering people like as, or engineering themselves or their own children you know, just in the way that they seek so many material advantages for their children today, once you can throw CRISPR and genetic editing into the mix, yeah, like that, in, unless there is an extreme political intervention, I could totally see that happening in the next, like, 10 years, 15 or 20 years for sure. And that's going to, that that is going to bring about, like, I don't know, and you even think about stuff today, like with, I don't know, like vaccine mandates, like, like, excluding people from society to such a degree over getting like an mRNA shot. But then if you take that logic further, then it's like, are we going to have like different, these different like genetic classifications for people that have had certain medications and ones that haven't. And, you know, is a regular old human without these enhancements going to be seen as kind of like an old operating system or an inferior operating system? Like, I don't fucking know how that's going to play out, but I feel like also like it doesn't make me want to get on the side of like accelerationists, like bringing this into being, <laughs> you know what uh, I mean? No, uh, like that doesn't seem like the right play. And so I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. What... Well, I never feel like the politics like is ever really uh, clearly stated. Like, you know, at this this really is very similar to Richard Spencer in a way. I even saw like a while ago on Richard Spencer's podcast, he was like musing about UFOs. It's really not that much of big, there's not that Hmm. big of a difference between that and this type of thing. You know, it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm racist, but like I'm intellectual about it. You know? Yeah. I almost feel like he's not necessarily condemning this. Yeah. Cause it has sort of accelerationist thing. He's almost positioning himself as being the one who's going to, you know, I detect a little bit of like a something that you see a lot in these type of writers where they just sort of describe and they don't really take a position. And, you know, it's like you can see it in like Vermeule's writing, you know, like the sort of wink, wink. But I feel like they're, you know, what they're really saying is that, yeah, I want this to happen. I look forward to like this, you know, eventuality. Uh, I guess that's kind of the point of it, accelerating things towards that. But. I guess so. Yeah, it's just... But I I feel like he is kind of getting seen more as, like, a boomer these days. Like, I don't think he has, like, the the dark power that he had. I don't even think if you go on, like, you know, 4chan or something that you would find uh, people praising at the altar, you know, worshipping at the altar of Nick Land. Yeah, Um, it's really crazy to think, like, Mark Fisher, the great vampire castle. I mean, there you go. The vampire castle is a great example. Like, again, like, the metaphor is, like, kind of stupid and, like... You know, it's sort of just like that whole essay is just like dumb whining and hand wringing over like getting called white on Twitter. And it all like hangs itself on this lofty metaphor of a vampire castle. And he really came out of the same milieu as Nick Land. Literally. Uh, he actually came out Literally. of the CCRU, right? Yeah, he did. I think we have a question down the list here about zero books. So I think we'll come back. Maybe we'll, we'll save yeah. our well, comments it's interesting on Mark to Fisher. Note, uh, since we were just talking about Victor Frankl injecting people with amphetamines. It is interesting that that like, you know, it's an interesting little synchronicity that both of these questions kind of have to do with amphetamines because didn't Nick Land like not only drive himself crazy as am- on amphetamines, but like that was that was a reason why he ended up getting yeah. thrown out because he was dealing like math to his students or something. 
I think. I forget if that's exactly what he was doing, but he definitely became like a huge speed freak and yeah. kind of went into like an amphetamine psychosis for a while. And I think that's when he first started embracing like race realism, like hyper racism, mm-hmm. which, uh, which is, we- I mean, the way he describes it in the article, I guess the hyper racism would be like this genetically enhanced like thing but then like why aren't you like against that (laughs) like you know it's it sounds like he's got some adderall brain like big time uh i think if you push it too far he he got to the neurotoxicity stage probably he was just doing like endless amphetamines and like living in alistair crowley's house and like drawing alcohol diagrams on the wall with all his grad students and amphetamines and the left-hand path do not go well together i mean Um, in a way they do but like i mean well yeah like the nazis were all on amphetamines you know yeah uh coincidence only only somewhat um yeah you wouldn't have the blitzkrieg without amphetamines literally so yeah (laughs) i mean not not the best thing if you want to really i don't know like there's just like there is a kind of like cold adderall disconnect from i think especially this like the little samples of later stuff and things I've seen him write. Like, I don't know if he's still on that stuff, but it feels like his brain has been rewired. I doubt like a he's cyborg. not on it. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Who knows? But I mean, maybe uh, he's not abusing it to the same level anymore. I, I'm just going to go. I just want to go see what outsideness is up to like right now. What's the, what's the most recent. It, I think it was the Bitcoin one that was just kind of like, ugh, whatever. While extremely unenthusiastic about the fact that Zuck doing it, this meta shit is going to be huge. Okay. See, he ends up just being a cheerleader for, like, Silicon Valley accelerationism. Yeah. Like, yeah. they're the biggest. Zuck is the biggest fucking accelerationist of them all. He's not thrilled about that. But, yeah, and then there's a bunch of whining about, is wokeness the politics of female mental illness? Oh, my. Uh, cool. Yeah, this is productive. And then there's um, some more about taking succession seriously from zero hedge you know uh not guest written by oh, michael Schur, a- surprisingly <laughs> well just any accelerate anything accelerate anything except for i guess vaccine mandates he's against that that's all um okay fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. fair enough um but yeah while wow, he's like reposting zero hedge and stuff that kind of makes sense if he does have a kind of position strongly predicts wokeness in its occupant that is a reliable sign it simply shouldn't exist the entire political energy of the right should be directed towards a world in which it doesn't exist. The only way to win a class war is to wage it as a class war, aiming at the economic destruction of the enemy. This is my least favorite thing in the world, like the obfuscation of class and like the transformation of it into like basically different sides in a culture war or different classes. Like it's the biggest like illusory, horrible psyop ever. Like it, I mean... Yeah, Not kind ever, of recasting. Like you mean like the kind of Tucker populism of like standing up for workers, but it means like standing up for the workers that like, like side Trump with you on culture. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. That, like like somebody Trump sides is with you in the culture eats McDonald's. Like uh-huh. that. You know, it's a that, bunch of signifiers and stuff. Yeah. Like and not that, anything material. And just yeah. anybody who writes wokeness with a capital W, like and writes in these grandiose terms, I can't deal with it. It's just like too corny and boomery uh, it's a, that is as cringe as writing folks with an x yes it is it is absolutely <laughs> you know but literally I mean, almost all of his t- uh tweets are like contain the word wokeness or woke with a capital w god he's got that seo booming right now yeah i'm sure yeah when uh, in doubt just attack the white tats they're so easy woke to tats. attack 
Yeah. They're, they're, anyway. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. It's like shooting uh, octopus lovers in a barrel. Um, yeah. I found a spooky, like, essay about too long to go through right now called Uncle Al and Uncle Bill in the 21st Century uh, about William S. Burroughs, Aleister Crowley, and, like, the influence on people like Nick Land and, like, Genesis Peoridge and all these other... Uh, and Scottish comic book writer Grant Morrison, who overhauled ailing marquee titles such as Justice League of America, The X-Men, and The Flash, who wrote a Burroughsian-influenced conspiracy theory titled The Invisibles. His websites are hotbeds of debate concerning magical technique, Burroughs, Crowley, drugs, the beats, and related topics. I don't know where he has... He put mysterious uh, sigils um, in his books. I don't fucking know. Anyways, yeah, that's it. I mean, we'll come back. We'll come back to that later. But okay, you want to move on to the next one? Yeah, we'll we'll move on. Uh, fare, farewell, Nick Land. Uh, farewell. Yeah, we'll, we'll 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 see. We'll hear from you again. I'm sure. Unfortunately. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, all right. <laughs> moving on to yeah. Okay. So one. all right. Uh, this is from um, B. Blanche Salavi, and they write. I'm looking for help identifying an obscure to me neo-Nazi religious doctrine. The author writes, quote. I assume uh, this is like some other author who's yeah, this not is identified. Um, not well. Okay. He's trying to find out what this Who doctrine th- is. Whoever is offering yeah. it, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, tricky question here, but look, okay, we'll read. This is this is quite a quote here. Um, I am a traditionalist and a national socialist. I believe that there is order inherent in the universe. That this order order is capitalized, by the way, mm-hmm. is characterized by hierarchy and differentiation, and that human beings are happiest when their societies reflect this order. Humans naturally exist as part of an ethnocultural organic unities, as part of ethnocultural Oops, organic master unities. Race making an agreement error here. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> uh. These these ethnocultural organisms are the only basis of nations and uh, that social institutions should reflect their nation and serve the entirety of society. I am opposed to Judaism and to all Judeo-occult religions and doctrines, those being the religions and doctrines derived from the Kabbalah. I have the doth of the Kabbalah. Basically, Judaism is the religion of the devil, and its spread is part of the devil's plan to enslave and exterminate the human race, the United States having been created for that purpose. Uh, specifically, Kabbalah begins with the eye, or the eye or great eye of Freemasonry, which is a pathway into the Sitra Ara, or darkness. It teaches that within this darkness, all light congealed into the Shekinah, which is the substance of all creation. Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, two, the seven-headed serpent, appeared in the darkness, and by dividing the Shekinah, he created the seven lower worlds, including this world of Malkuth. Gazing into his creation, Yahweh saw his rage reflected as in a mirror, and this caused him to separate into two, Yahweh the Messiah, who remained in the darkness, and Yahweh the Shaitan, who fell into our world. Now Judah, who also emerged from this division, and who is both Christ and Antichrist, has brought man the tree of life, advancement through which leads man back to darkness, making him a tzedek, giving him the power to tikkun olam, which is to reconcile Yahweh and Shaitan back into a single being. I also know the original of the false Kabbalistic teaching of Para 186, Supra. Yahweh is Lucifer, originally the brightest of the angels, misled by Judah. He created this world in imitation of the true God's heaven of pure light. 
The act of creation made Yahweh the demiurge or lesser creator, and it also left him with a creation of light mixed with darkness. When the true God discovered this act of rebellion, he expelled Yahweh from heaven with all the angels that had assisted him and trapped him in this world as a place of punishment. Judaism preaches hatred for mankind because it falsely exalts Yahweh as the highest God and is focused on the work of this world, which is the punishment of the beings trapped here. Encoded into the Kabbalah are also social control techniques known as the royal art, which is the art of ruling men by deception. Uh, parentheses, apologies for the wall of text. <laughs> the author is extremely hostile to groups identifying as satanic. <laughs> wow, that's a, um, uh, okay, what the fuck? You know Whoa, what, this um, to me, hmm. like all the elements of this seem like pretty consistent with like your uh, esoteric Hitlerism, like your standard esoteric Hitlerism, like, uh, like Savitri Devi. Uh, oh, okay. Even more like classical esoteric Hitlerism. Yeah, like Savitri Devi, like the Gnosticism element, which is obvious and like the sort of yeah. uh, gene- Genesis narrative of everything, the, uh, you know, the Yahweh's Satan, the kind of demiurgic idea. And That's then also, directly from like the Gnostic Gospels, right? Well, it's like a permutation of the ideas you see, like in Gnosticism. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, that Jehovah is actually Yaudabaoth, who... Yes, you know, exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I'm the God, you're God. You know, that's that's all like him boasting, and it's a lie, and the real God is like the higher God of, of pure... Uh, Pistosophia in yeah. some of the books. Pistosophia is being like an emanation, yeah, of the, the true one, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, as you said, it varies, but... Uh, yeah, I think that that and also like a big giveaway is the sort of use of uh, Sanskrit type words um, at one point. Right. So, it's, yeah, the Citra Ahra. Um, oh, OK. That seems like to be. That sounds a little bit Sanskrit. Like, like I think it is. Indian. Uh, yeah, I'm looking up Citra Ahra right now. Uh, esoteric killerism. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's so rare to come across like all the I don't know like a wall of text like this but like not have the author cited I so yeah I, I wonder uh, I hope that this wasn't urgent um that this person <laughs> right? needed this information in any way I'm about to marry this great guy but I found his yeah uh, his blog um and <laughs> oh I guess Citra Akhra is an Aramaic thing um Citra yeah okay I guess I could have figured that out um but yeah, I, I mean, it sounds like esoteric Hitlerism, uh, kind of anti-Freemasonry, anti-Kabbalah, but also yeah. Gnostic. And I think that yeah. esoteric Hitlerism is also like anti-Satanic, too, generally. I guess as opposed to like O9A, which is like Satanic yeah. Nazism. Yeah, although they'll even kind of do the same thing where they're like, I'm not Satanic, you know, we're not Satanic, we're actually feminists and we believe in you know the a causal or something i don't know like they'll go back and forth there's no That's real true. coherent like thing that they converge on the o9a so much but this does seem to be kind of in the uh savitri devi tradition of esoteric hitlerism even if the citra isn't maybe a sanskrit thing as a as i thought i guess it's from aramaic meaning just like the other side oh akhra maybe like akhra i don't know but anyway or like i'm from, not really like, sure Akhra-ra. yeah uh, well, I, don't know. I tried to look up uh, Kabbalah, the royal art. Um, not getting any hits here. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I think like um, I'm going to try to see if I can find something that just really like resonates with this because I've, I've definitely seen things like that before. Um, oh, maybe Miguel Serrano. Yeah, if you look up Miguel Serrano, 
you might find something pretty similar to some of this. I think his, uh, his ideas also were pretty similar. You know, he was a big esoteric Hitlerist. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Miguel uh, Serrano. Yeah. Chilean diplomat, writer, occultist, and fascist activist. I love some wow, of these people's okay. like, little bios. Right. Know? Oh, yeah. Um, Miguel Serrano Fernandez. He came back to Chile after... <laughs> he got fired when Allende took uh, won. <laughs> yeah, when, yeah. When Allende... And then, uh, and then he returned to Chile in 1973 after Pinochet got in yes. and became a prominent organizer in the Chilean neo-Nazi movement, holding annual celebrations of Hitler's birthday, organizing a neo-Nazi rally in Santiago, and producing a neo-Nazi political manifesto. He wrote a trilogy of books on Hitler in which he outlined his view of the Nazi leader as an avatar. Wow. Uh, In 2008, he was awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award (laughs) from the Universidad Mayor of Santiago. After Savitri Devi, he has been considered the most prominent exponent of esoteric Hitlerism within the neo-Nazi movement. Jeez. Um, Yes. Uh, It would be a good episode, like, to do one about all these people because they have, like, some truly off-the-wall ideas. A lot of it is kind of that sort of strange like Aryanist uh spin on on Hinduism uh oh yeah you know, that was, Savitri uh, Devi was big on that right? yeah definitely well you know swastika it's a symbol uh, that's of, true yeah. um, <laughs> this is just from Wikipedia in this arcane work Serrano unfolds his ultimate philosophical testament uh the arcane work being Adolf Hitler el ultimo avatara Adolf Hitler, the last avatar. Sounds like an M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> movie. Anyway, uh, in this arcane work, he unfolds his Blitzkriegers, there's amphetamines all around you. <laughs> yeah, why, why don't you fight? you fight? Yeah, fair wolves. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have fair wolves. <laughs> there's prescription uh, yeah. grade speed all around you. No, yeah. um, um, this is really weird about him. Uh, he In late 1941, uh, his friend Gallo uh, suggested Serrano could support the German and Italian war effort, not just through his publications, but also on the etheric inner planes, introducing him to an esoteric order sympathetic to Nazism. Serrano later claimed that this order had been founded near the start of the 20th century by a German migrant known as F.K., Serrano was initiated into the group in February 1942. FK claimed that the group owed its allegiance to a secretive Brahmin elite who resided in the Himalayas. Its it practices included kundalini yoga with ceremonial magic and expressed hmm. a pro-Nazi position. It espoused a belief in an astral body which could be awakened through various rituals and meditative practices. The group revered the Nazi German leader Adolf Hitler as the savior of the Aryan race and pre- presented him as a shudi budi shab Baba, an initiate of an immense okay. willpower who had voluntarily incarnated onto Earth to assist in the overthrow of the Kali Yuga, a present dark age for humanity. FK claimed that through the astral realm, he was able to establish a connection with Hitler, during which they had various conversations. Wow. Actually, interestingly, uh, as, the, as the war ended, Serrano was convinced that Hitler had not committed suicide in Berlin, as was claimed by the victorious allies. Instead, Serrano believed that Hitler had escaped and was living in Antarctica, either in a secluded warm environment on the continent or under the ice cap itself. Wow. The, the idea had been suggested to him by FK, who claimed that he remained in astral contact with Hitler, but was also widely, widely rumored in the Latin American press. 
1947, Ladislao Szabo's book, Hitler est vivo, had been published, exerting an influence on Serrano. Szabo's book alleged that a U-boat convoy had taken Hitler to stay in Queen Maud Land. In 1947-48, Serrano traveled to Antarctica as a journalist with the Chilean army. In 1948, he wrote his own short book, La Antarctica y otros mitos, which repeated Szabo's claims about Hitler's survival. In 51, he traveled to Europe and in Germany visited various sites associated with the Nazi party, including Hitler's Berlin bunker, his Berghof home, and Spandau prison. During his trip, he also visited uh, Switzerland, where he met and befriended the writer Hermann Hesse and the psychoanalyst Carl Jung. <laughs> Whoa, okay. Wow. wow. Okay. okay. Uh, he did visit um, in the 60s. Uh, wow, he became the Chilean ambassador to Yugoslavia in the 1960s. And then was the ambassador to Austria, always a sus position. And he actually, uh, he paid several visits to the co-founder of the Ananerbe, Hermann Wirth, and the designer and occultist William Wilhelm Landig, the poet Ezra Pound, and the uh-huh. traditionalist thinker Julius Evola. And he also established friendships with a number of individuals involved in the old Nazi movement, including Otto Skorzeny, uh, Leon uh, de Grel, and some other people. He also discussed, oh, issues with the ancient astronaut proponent, Robert Cheroux. Hmm. Yeah, that well, he was the... also basically into like Atlantis and hyperboreanism and stuff like that. Uh, that is wild. We could do a whole episode on this fucking guy. Yeah, absolutely. This guy, is wild. he pops up everywhere um yeah wow um and modern pagans i guess uh started adopting his ideas in the 90s in in the pagan religion of heathenry with a capital h awesome um that's contemporary german (laughs) neo-paganism so yeah i don't know where that shit comes from but uh could be from yeah (laughs) i think that there is a clear influence here uh you know um for instance, he writes uh, in his foreword to uh, Hitler, The Last Avatar. This is not a book. It is a musical mystery and mysticism, darkness and light, esoteric symbolism, astral travel, master and pupil, and so much more. A book describing the ongoing, titanic, and eternal battle between gods and devils, between a dark force, a satanic spirit, and a coming or returning Hyperborean Aryan age. You know, and he goes on to talk about the influence of masonry and of Kabbalah and how Kabbalah is just an adulterated form of the true Aryan science and uh, everything like that. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, I'm reading about his, uh, his like, stories about the hyperboreans they sound very like the urantia book like yes. he even talks about the black yellow and red races yep. and how they were just animals or like human robots um and then the hyperboreans like mated with them and so we got our like giants archons kind of theory mixed in and uh, with a, some gnosticism and shit yeah wow there's a lot there so that it's probably from that kind of circle where this shit kind of comes from i would imagine Yes. For Arians, atoms have never been numeric, abstract, empty formulas. This is him inveighing against Einstein for being Jewish, I guess, for against relativity and atomic and quantum physics. I mean, you know. Uh, the ultimate culture war about yeah, relativity. Yeah, I mean, I'm not super down with relativity. I mean, I want to do our episode on the Copenhagen deception soon, but uh, his take on it is, is pretty funny. Uh, he says, For Arians, atoms have never been numeric, abstract, empty formulas. They are gnomes, magic runes, the atomic gods. 
for the Jew, only that which can be known positively is real, without blood, without flesh, without earthly incarnation, without form, without spiritual son. Okay, Nick Land. Uh, mm, okay. Um, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. This is a lot of synchronicities in there. With like the uh, esoteric, whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, not all people, as we, I think we have discussed before, it, just because you're anti-Satan doesn't mean you're not sus. Uh, this oh, would yeah. be a good example. For sure. Of, There's many, many more. I mean, it's like just such a like bizarre, anomalous, like uh, sad reflection on our state of affairs that there are people who are like openly pro-Satan, but mm-hmm. n- like generally most people are not super pro satan and there's many many sus people you know who are anti-satan i mean satan basically despite what uh you know you'll get people in your menchies trying to protest like satan basically just as a stand-in for evil you know uh it's a personification of of an evil will or uh you know whatever is dark in this life so uh, so the idea of, use of it in that sense, including sus people, but like liberating course. the symbol of Satan into being like a symbol of progress doesn't really make sense. Generally not, I would say, you know, like, yeah, I get, you know, if you're like, if this person's like saying, oh, you know, Jews are satanic, like, you know, I hate Satan, I'm a Nazi, then maybe you're like, well, maybe Satan's not that bad. I mean, although he's also against like, you know, uh anything that's like not hitlerist like bizarre paganist worship of like atomic gods and arianism and like you know bizarre shit you know yeah he like believes in the protocols um yeah uh so word yeah he's uh yes but anyway yeah like i mean there's definitely people who are um anti-satan uh like you know in what they profess who are worse than people who are like who profess like loving satan and being satanist even uh you know it's yeah not, like, i've known i've known like I mean, very satan sweet very like tricky, you know you know it's like, not like like metal people that yeah. have like Morbid all these like is not as bad as miguel serrano <laughs> yeah. despite no miguel for serrano sure being against satan for yeah. sure but i think um, that that always is a trick and i feel like I'll, i feel like it's a trick that a lot of people get pulled on them like in today's culture of thinking that because a bunch of hypocrites like say they love God and hate Satan, but then you find out they're hypocrites. Therefore that means that the opposite is true. It just means they're hypocrites. Like it doesn't mean that Satan's actually a good, they they, they weren't lying to you that Satan's a bad guy. They're just using that in a manipulative way to cover their own uh, satanic complicities. I mean, the standard strategy of Satan, like generally has been to make you think something evil and satanic isn't evil and satanic as in fact good now somehow people are like oh that's evil and satanic dope which is like you know quite you know tragic state of affairs but i think of like pat robertson or some somebody really toxic or like a homophobe like preacher or something like that you know people who won't bake Mm -hmm. a cake for like a lesbian couple you know like Mm -hmm. like they think of those types of people and like well i'm against what they stand for and they say they're against Satan. So therefore, wanting to bake a wedding cake for lesbians is satanic and good. It's like, no, 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 wait, 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 no. <laughs> like it, no, well, it's, yeah, just, I mean, it it's just good. Me. It's not, it doesn't mean that they're actually being satanic, you know. That, yeah. That's what I feel like. Like No, a friend of mine said something similar about how, like, uh, you know, 
there used to be an idea like uh, that people who had like darker skin, you know, kind of like a colorism uh, that would associate, you know, people with darker skin, like kind of in uh, Central Asia with like demons or with jinn. And then he was observing sort of a new trend where people would be like, you know, wanting to be jinn, like kind of like in YA literature, things like that, you know, saying like, yeah, I am a half jinn. It's like in a TikTok no, way, like the whole point is like that we want to be seen as human. Like we don't want to embrace and like reclaim being jinn what they said to dehumanize us you know and like the yeah, no, humanity that's, that's like a good point. we want yeah. to, you know it's sort of a similar thing where like yeah it's kind of like oh well, i'll just reclaim being like demonic and i'll reclaim satan because you're saying that what i'm doing is satanic in some way or you know what you don't like which you know is not bad or like you're perception of what satanic is is wrong or something i'll embrace satan but i mean that's a win-win for Satan, I would say. It is a win-win uh, for that, Satan. I mean, yeah. it really, like... Just the kind it, of, like, satanic trick that, like, Satan would do. I mean, that's the thing about Satan. Like, he's tricky. That's, like, one of the salient qualities of Satan. I guess yeah. people just don't really reflect on this because they like, just, like, think of, like, a comic book-type devil who's, like, got pointy horns and, like, he's gonna make Spider-Man, you know, sell his soul or something to save Mary Jane. I don't yeah, know, but I mean, you know, Hollywood's done a good job making Satan kind of like a like a slick cool. Like how many people have played him? Like Jack Nicholson, Al Pacino, Harvey Keitel, you know, a lot of actors have played the devil. I mean, there's a whole show called Lucifer on TV for years that was just about yeah, like what if Lucifer true. like ran a nightclub in LA and like solved murders with a cop. <laughs> like, yeah, you know. Right. I and, haven't like, actually watched Lucifer. I remember you me getting neither. the script for the pilot from somebody yeah. and like sending it to me and like you I was, like, sent me an even email back kind then. of like the most awesome pilot like ever written and it was like so incredibly <laughs> yeah, shitty like so dumb. you know, he's like yeah. driving his awesome black car and like yeah, and that show he's like you know, when you first mentioned that, I was thinking of things like uh, Devil's Advocate, you know. But I yeah. almost feel like a lot of the time in movies, I always felt like watching movies like that, it'd be like, why would you make a deal with the devil? You know, the devil's like, it's just a little thing. Your soul, and, like, creates a contract, like, out of fire. And they're like, yeah. what the fuck ever? Yeah, I'll sign it. <laughs> like, you know, but that's <laughs> not really, like, how this stuff goes i well, mean in the music in industry position, yeah in the music industry <laughs> yes uh i mean it's a heavy-handed yeah, metaphor but like i think that because i think it's rarely that heavy-handed in real life i mean th even the the folk story we read in our jill deray episode you know the devil sort of uh impersonated like a beautiful woman you know yeah and he got jill deray to promise him all this stuff in order mm -hmm. to get you know, uh, in order to, in exchange for marrying him, you know, in the guise of this woman, but that's yeah. still, you know, the pack still counted, uh, uh -huh. you know, so you'd think, you know, the heavy handed metaphor, people would be able to like read into it and like see, you know, the, the sort of, uh, less, uh, sort of overdone, uh, parallel to this in an actual life. But I don't know. I think that, yeah, people, uh, I, I think people just kind of write off the, the concept and don't really have, like, a, a sophisticated idea of it uh, and just think, like, I don't know, it's fun, it's good, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, a subtle Baphomet's influence. cool, because, like, he's, you know, 
uh, Allah is boring because, like, he's just, like, abstract, you know? He's just, like, the foundation of all existence and, uh, you know, the the necessary real. Uh, whereas, like, <laughs> Baphomet, he has, like, a goat head. Like, he has, like, you know, 2D12 to do, like, toxic damage. Uh, he's rock and uh, roll. He, yeah, I mean, exactly. he is rock and roll, literally. Yeah. Um, all those teenagers um, in the 80s that were, like, in the, like, Geraldo special, like, the rock concert, were guys on stage, like, like, cool. and they're like, man, like, it's not about, it ain't about devil worship, man. We're just here, like, blowing off some steam and having a good time, man. Like, all our parents, they all think that, you know, it's, like, totally that dynamic where it's, like, because this music is, like, shocking to, like, yeah. you know, a, a suburban parents or whatever and considered, like, wearing their T-shirt is, like, whoa, like, that's evil and stuff. But, you know, it's just – but then they, yeah. they just kind of – it gets, like, neutered, so they don't think it's evil. And it's, like, it's not evil in the sense of, like, they're going to go out and be murderers, though. You know, there were a number of stories Sometimes. like that in the <laughs> 80s. Um, well, there's, like, a dialectic, as we, I think, pointed out very early on, like, in the show, like, uh, talking about Geraldo's special. You know, there's a well, dialectic yeah. between that, like, extreme evangelical, evangelical satanic fear and, yeah. uh, you know, the sort of uh, craze for – uh, not the craze about or the craze uh, to fear Satanism, but the craze for embracing, you know, the devil and the demonic, uh, you know, and the the appeal of it. Um, yeah, but just on like an aesthetic level that like Ozzy Osbourne is like, no, it's not uh, just write a lot of songs. And, <laughs> you know, some of them got the devil in them, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, no, or, but it's like, dude, like you know, all your songs. You're just, being like, so what? Like, like, I just wrote Do It For The Demon. I mean, what else would you write a song about? You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, I decided to write my album Do It For The Demon and Upside Down Crosses. And I mean... You know, it's I'm all for breaking crosses, but I mean, he should yeah, learn about um, Islam. I stand by my position. Uh, no, you know, if he's not down with Christianity, you don't have to be a devil worshiper. Just, you know. No, yeah, you don't. I mean, you you really Islam. don't. Yeah, you really, really <laughs> yeah. don't. Okay. Um, uh, do you want to take a quick break and yeah. uh, then we'll come back and talk about Alan Moore? Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Speaking of comics. Uh, Speaking yeah. of I really comics. think, you know, that's like kind of the whole thing where like people need some kind of like icon or like hero, you know, like, uh, just the same way, like Miguel Serrano needs like, uh, avatar or Hitler to like, you know, wield a flaming sword and like destroy like the evil Kabbalistic Judaic cult, you know, people are yeah. like, well, yeah, well, Baphomet would beat him up with like his, you know, <laughs> uh, corrosive breath. I mean, uh, we already have Thor as like a Marvel character. Why not throw Baphomet into the mix as a yeah. lovable scamp? I'm right. sure it won't be that long. I mean, well, we already have Lucifer. He's like, that's Lucifer is like part of like the MCU or something or the DCU. One of those. I think he's is. DC. I think he's DC. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, he might really, pop up in the he, Justice League. I feel like Marvel also could make a Lucifer show, right? You can't copyright him. I uh, guess it's it's open. It's uh it's public domain. They need to right? have dueling shows about like how awesome the devil is and like just compete over who can praise the devil more. Um, yeah.
Okay, we're back. Do you want to read the next question? Sure. What's the SJ take on Alan Moore? It seems like he's in the right way of life, but his chaos magic shit sometimes makes me question. I love his work, but I'm wondering if he's sus that I decay about. I mean, Alan Moore, like, for me, is someone who, like, as far as, like, comic book auteurs go, like, he's definitely the best. Like, you know, and the other people who sometimes would get named as being, like, on the same level as Alan Moore, like, really aren't at even close. Yeah. It's, yeah, you know, so he, he definitely is the best, like, person to work in that medium in English that I know <laughs> of, you know, from... Uh, my yeah. not very deep uh, knowledge of like the comic medium you know I'm not I guess very it kind well of does work either. yeah you know I mean there might be like sort of more like avant-garde like interesting sort of graphic novels uh, out there that like I'm unaware of because Alan Moore ultimately still is like kind of like a someone who's done a lot of work in that superhero vein you know yeah. uh, and kind of the standard sort of genre of American comics that the, the most popular genre they're associated with for whatever reason is these superhero stories. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, he's a weirdo. Um, I mean, I like that he hates like, uh, you know, Hollywood adaptations of his work and kind of has repudiated the superhero, uh, genre as a whole, you know, and like regrets like the writing that he did on Batman and things like that. And thinks like, you know, it's not actually, uh, substantial enough like uh, or complex enough like character and like too much of a, a flat one-dimensional cartoon to like sustain any kind of like uh, interesting narrative or, or story or, or themes you know I think that's a, a fair point like mm-hmm. I think it's odd that he worships like a, a made-up snake deity named Glycon um, he does yeah okay interesting yeah, I didn't know that. I mean, he he's, he is a big he's he's very into practicing chaos magic with a K, right? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I know that one Grant Morrison is like a another guy who I think like another comic guy who like was really into chaos magic. Yeah, in particular, definitely. Um, he's the one that we just mentioned uh, talking about how. Uh, he was the Scottish comic book writer that did work on like the justice league and I think Batman and Superman and the X-Men also like in the 1990s. Mm. Um, I think he also did a a series called the invisibles, which uh, some described as I guess the matrix on LSD or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he had a character in that called King Mob, who was meant to be based on Morrison's ideal version of himself as an occult rebel hero. And he started awesome. to find that when he wrote bad things happening cool. to King Mob, bad things happened to himself. When King wow. Mob nearly died from magical bacteria in one of the comics issues, Morrison himself caught a life-threatening infection. Later, King Mob was shot and almost killed, and Morrison himself had to be hospitalized for blood poisoning. After that, Morrison started writing King Mob as having great things happening to him, and Morrison started to have unexpected fame and fortune on his own. <laughs> so, like, but he's like a mortal cool. enemy of like Alan Moore. Like, they hate each other, but they both have tons of occult stuff. Oh, they in hate their each works. other. I didn't realize that. That's yeah, funny. they're That's rivals. Funny drama. Um, mm-hmm. Why do they hate each other? What's like the origin of their uh, hatred for each other? I just remember I wanted to mention that it's uh, a whole long thing. There's that book, The Book of Lies, um, which is like a sort of a collection of essays um, on 
uh, sort of magical or occult themes. I think we read one essay from it uh, about Marjorie Cameron in a previous episode, but um, he had an essay in there, I remember, and it was, like, literally about, like, drawing a sigil, like, and encoding it with something, um, you know, that you want to happen, and then, like, jacking off so that when you achieve, like, the moment of orgasm, like, then, you know, you will... Like if content, you know, concentrate on the sigil, and that will help wow. realize like your magical. So it's operation. sex magic, yeah. Yeah, it's Basically. like your Barnes and Noble intro to like sex magic, or you know, I guess wank magic. Uh, more. Uh, this is funny. Morrison asked their readers to participate in a wankathon while concentrating on magical symbol in an effort to boost sales for one of his comics. <laughs> cool. Wow, very okay. cool. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, he did Watchmen, which I, I read, one of the few graphic novels I've read, I read years Alan ago. Alan Moore did Watchmen. Yeah, Alan Moore did that. Yeah. And, right. I mean, I think it's, like, it's weird how, and maybe this is why he is so reticent for, like, Hollywood to adapt his work, that, like, they were able to twist it into that HBO series, which was, like, so fucking bad, and mm-hmm. kind of reversed all of the themes that were going on in the original Watchmen, yeah. And ended with like, what if like a cop is the real? That was superhero? just like unfortunate <laughs> in every way. Like yeah, it was, it was, was very funny. weird. But I mean, I think there was something there. It, it sucks. I that... just don't think like Damon Lindelof is like someone who really has like an understand like the same sort of vibe. Uh, like I mean, Alan Moore's a very unique person. Like a very obviously, you know, his style yeah. is very unique and. I think that ultimately, like, he is just a more sophisticated writer and creative than uh, Damon Lindelof. Yeah, you know, that's and I think probably that kinda, true. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I think that he's done, you know, The Leftovers. Like, there are interesting concepts in that. I think that some of the more interesting stuff actually came out, like, from... I mean, it's really... It's kind of sad how, like, um, TV, like, the bar is so low, where, like, someone, like... Uh, I feel like Reza Aslan. Wow. It's real. We're having a lot of synchronicities because Reza Aslan, <laughs> who I accidentally mentioned before, like yeah. uh, now I'm actually mentioning like Reza Aslan's like influence, I feel like was in a way like helped to give the leftovers a little bit something more, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know after they ran out of the, after they ran out of just adapting the story. The source material. Um, yeah. The book. But, uh, you know, ultimately I feel like was that like as good as like, you know, Watchmen, like, no, I mean, one, I, I kind of watch as an adult and when I read as like when I was younger, you know, and do it reading kind of things like that. Uh, this time is you get recommended those types of books. So, you know, maybe I was more impressed by it then than I would have been. But, you know, when the show came out and I was like wondering, like, was Watchmen this stupid? I did go back and read it and I did find aspects of it to be still like still held up in, in many ways. Um, and in fact, I appreciated aspects of it that I, I hadn't before, obviously. Um mm. You know, so, um, yeah, and, you know, one Alan Moore story in a similar vein that I really liked was, um, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. I think that kind of is, like, a similar thing, uh, to Watchmen, really, maybe it's, uh, I think probably it did come before, uh, Watchmen, but it's kind of about the, in comics, you know, uh, they do these sort of in-universe things to, like, reboot, you know? It's kind of like in the Star Trek movie that J.J. Abrams did where, like, he was afraid to piss off the old Trekkies. Mm -hmm. Um, So he had to have the reboot be, like, a diegetic kind of and, like, as an alternate universe where, like, you know, the old Star Trek isn't harmed and still exists, but, like, we're also rebooting it with, like, hotter, younger actors. Yeah. Um, 
like it's uh, they do that with comics, you know, where like they will be like, OK, we're going to have like a darker, more modern take. Uh, but, you know, there's actually some sort of like universal, like cosmological reason why like the old uh, characters like are going away, you know, like uh, so the, the Alan Moore wrote kind of a story that was sort of like a farewell after the fact to like the Superman of the like 60s, you know, like the Superman who would always be like, you know oh no, Jimmy Olsen's turned into a giant turtle or like, you know, yeah. uh, Superman's turned into a baby and like Lois Lane has to spank him and like all these like wh- like stupid, <laughs> like weird, like little uh, stories that you see like sometimes like circulating around the internet maybe is like an amusing thing. Um, yeah, you know, and it's kind of that same sort of like uh, an attempt to like give like a sort of more adult perspective on this and it's, it's interesting, you know, like uh, um, the ultimate villain ends up being like this little mischievous imp uh Mr. Mixelplick or something, uh, like Mixelplixel, something like that, you know, like there's some character who's like a little man in a derby hat, but in the end he like reveals that he's actually like a five dimensional demon. (laughs) Superman has to like break his one code and like kill him with like some kind of ray. Um, and the Superman like relinquishes his powers using like one of the many varieties of kryptonite. Yeah. But before that, it's just like brutal where like, you know, Alan Moore just like slaughters all of these like, you know, uh, Superman like secondary characters, you know, like they all mm-hmm. just like die off horribly, like in his last stand, like in Antarctica or something. Um, I don't know if like I'm making a point with that. I was just thinking, you know, that's a, it's an interesting kind of a, a point in, like Alan Moore's uh, Genesis as a writer. But I mean, I don't know if, like, uh, I mean, yeah, he's, like, sus in a way. I think that he's a little bit uh, just of a weird man. Um, yeah, you know, I'm looking I at a picture. Necessarily... I'm looking at this picture on the article in the psychopath.org about Morrison and Moore's rivalry. And there's, like... <laughs> I want to know more about that because that sounds... A, there's, like, a picture of him with, like, a, a quote next to it. And he's wearing, like, a very weird spiral symbol on his chest. <laughs> and he's got this unkempt beard and hair. And he says, quote, You have to be very careful of what you say. Because if you suddenly declare yourself to be a magician without any knowledge of what that entails, then you are likely to wake up and to discover that is exactly what you are. <laughs> what? Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like maybe, I think maybe people thought he was subtweeting Morrison by saying that, that this guy is like just playing fast and loose with magic and Mm -hmm. stuff. I don't know why he's wearing a spiral on his chest. It's not like a triangle spiral, but still, I don't know. Um, yeah, he's really obsessed with, uh, doing magic. He's very, yeah, he seems to be very kind of like careful and like superstitious about stuff. Yeah, I think he's definitely a true believer in magic, you know, Mm -hmm. he's not someone who's, you know, uh, just doing it for show, although he does, he did at least at one time uh, worship uh, an ancient cult of, like, a sort of made-up snake god slash, like, glove puppet. Yeah, I saw that in this uh, this, (laughs) this interview here, where, where did he say, yeah, we, like, basically, it was a Roman snake god. Yes, but, uh, you know, it was, like, the only, uh, or the main literary reference that exists for it is from Lucian, and it's, like, sort of satirical, uh, and Lucian says that Glycon was created, um, in the mid-2nd century by the Greek prophet Alexander of Abonotechos, and Lucian was ill-disposed toward the cult, calling Alexander a false prophet and accusing the whole enterprise of being a hoax, 
Glycon himself was supposedly a hand puppet. So, you know, I guess Alan Mm. Moore deliberately chose a fake god or a god that was sort of known for being false um, to sort of be the center of his (laughs) worship. Yeah. um, You know, to kind of uh, play with that. Uh, possibility or maybe you know to minimize the power that it might have over him like through okay. his magic possibly I um, yeah i i found a yeah. actually an interview where he he describes what happened with that puppet okay. dude, with the puppet yeah dude. um this All is right. an arthur mag um from 2007 and they ask him let me get a little perspective here before 93 or 94 you would have considered yourself an atheist but you knew quite a bit about the occult already judging from some of your stories and characters Alan Moore says, well, yes, but there again, as a writer, I've got to be interested in everything. So, yes, I was at least as knowledgeable about the occult as any fantasy comic writer has to be. But it was just one of the things I was interested in. And it was something that was theoretical. My interest in the occult was I'm interested in what people believe because that was the terms in which I saw it. There was no way that I could say whether what these people believe has any basis or validity. What was interesting to me was that people believe these things. Starting with January 1994, all of a sudden, it suddenly got a little less remote of an academic topic for me. I found myself in the middle of what seemed to be a full-blown magical experience that I could not really account for. And they ask, what do you mean? He says, when you found that you spent at least part of an evening talking to an entity that tells you that it is a specific goetic demon that was first mentioned in the Book of Tobit in the Apocrypha, chuckles, Now, there's only so many ways that you can take that. The most obvious way is that you had some sort of hallucination or that you had some sort of mental breakdown, something like that, which is fine unless there have been other people there with you at similar experiences at the time or something similar. Then when you say, all right, this was some sort of real experience, you then have to think, well, was it therefore something that was purely internal? Was this some part of myself that I've given a name and face to or projected in some way? That's possible. Or was this thing what it said it was? Was this some entirely external entity that actually was what it claimed to be and was talking to me? That's possible. I tend to try and not rule out any of those. The thing that actually feels most satisfying is the idea that it actually might be both of them. It might be both Mm -hmm. inside you and outside you. That doesn't make any logical sense, but that satisfies me most emotionally. It feels truest. These are Gnostic experiences. You've either had them or you haven't. For example, the first experience I had, and this is very difficult to describe, but it felt to me as if me and a very close friend of mine were both taken on this ride by a specific entity. The entity seemed to me and to my friend to be size, to be this second century Roman snake god named Glycon. (laughs) Or that that the second century Roman snake god called Glycon is one of the forms by which this kind of energy is sometimes known. Because the snake as a symbol runs through almost every magical system, every religion. In the yoga systems, you've got the kundalini serpent. In the Amazon Indian creation myths, you have innumerable serpents that take part in the creation. The same with the Bible, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, the worm of Enod, the Midgard serpent coiled three times around the world. It's difficult to find a religion that doesn't have a serpent in it somewhere. So we had this experience. At least part of this experience seemed to be completely outside of time. There was a perception that all of time was happening at once. 
Linear time was purely a construction of the conscious mind, and in fact, time is much more the way that people like Stephen Hawking seem to describe it, where space-time is almost like some big football, and you've got the big bang at one end of it and the big crunch at the other, but all the moments are all existing at once in this huge hole at the moment. It's, our, it's only our consciousness that's moving through it from A to B to C to D. In fact, the whole alphabet's right there from the start. So there was this perception of being outside of time. From that perspective, it was possible to see that all of time was in fact happening at once. There were other revelations. There was a lot that seemed to be connected with this Roman snake god whose name was Glycon. Now, the only references there are to him, which are very disparaging, are in the works of the philosopher Lucian. Lucian explains that the whole Glycon cult was an enormous fraud and that Glycon was a glove puppet. And I've got no reason to disbelieve that whatsoever. It sounds absolutely true that, yeah, the false prophet Alexander, who was the person putting on the Glycon show, had a large tame boa constrictor, and he had the head of it tucked under his arm and draped over his shoulder. He had a speaking tube that had been designed to look like this inhuman long-snared long-haired snake's head with articulated jaws so that it would seem to speak. Yeah, that sounds about right. Of course, to me, I think that's perfect. If I'm going to have a god, I prefer it to be a complete hoax and a glove puppet because I'm not likely to start believing that glove puppet created the universe or anything dangerous like that. To me, the idea of the god is the god. It doesn't matter what form it takes. This is one of the problems that, for me, Christianity has. Christianity's got some lovely concepts, beautiful concepts. However, Christianity also insists upon a historical Jesus. If it was ever proven that Jesus didn't exist, the whole of Christianity would fall to pieces. There's no reason for it to, but it would, because they insist that this was definitely real. He was I mean, definitely born definitely of a virgin. Would be a reason for, anyway, whatever. Well, uh, he definitely died on the cross and then definitely physically ascended to heaven, all of which sounds like bollocks to me. That sounds frankly impossible. That can't happen. However, you got this wonderful story. The story's got complete integrity. As a story, it's fine. It's rich in symbolism. It's rich in moral awareness. It's insisting on this historical background that is the problem. Now, for me, I don't believe that there ever was a living snake that had a semi-human head and long hair and spoke. That would be mad to believe that. I believe that, yeah, Alexander the False Prophet has got some really clever scam going involving a puppet and a boa constrictor. But nevertheless, that was a representation of the god. That was not the god. The god is the idea of the god. That was what I believe that visited me and my friend upon this first occasion, and which I've had contact on subsequent occasions. Now, this god Glycon was supposed to be, at the time of his inception, was supposed to be the second coming of the god Asclepius. This is the god of medicine, who is traditionally right. shown as an old man with a snake around his staff. This is the origin of the caduceus symbol that you see in ambulances and hospitals. That's why the snake is associated with healing, because of Asclepius. Now imagine my surprise then, when some years later, after I've had this preliminary experience, I was reading the collected letters of Philip K. Dick. This was what he wrote during the early 70s, just before he had the Vallis experience and went completely mad. He's talking in very plain terms about things as they happen. He's talking about how he's getting all this information that seems to be being flashed into his brain, the pink light. And he's talking about how part of it seems to have to do with the Holy Roman Empire. Part of it seems to be an ancient second, second or third century Rome. Part of it also seems to be to do with the perception that all of time is happening at once. And that, in his words, the empire never fell that all of time is actually a solid state thing that's happening all at once. And there's this particularly little shivery bit that I read in one of his letters where he says, I found out the name of the entity that's contacting me. It's called Asclepius. 
I thought this was a little bit, you know, a little bit worrying. It sounded like we he'd had a very similar experience and it seemed to be related to the same entity. Now, I don't know what to make of that. It seems to me that you might say, I mean, magicians would say there was a serpent current, if you like, an energy that people could connect up to. And they might understand this energy in a number of different forms, as Asclepius or Glycon or Kundalini or whatever. But it's essentially a kind of sinuous kind of energy that we associate with the snake and a certain sort of consciousness. All I right, also had back this guy is just an oddball. He's sounding a little bit sus to me. I mean, uh, okay, well, it. it's about not to get a little. It. It's okay. about to get a little more sus. I also right. had an experience with a demonic creature that told me his name was Asmodee, which is Asmodeus. Okay, awesome. Yeah. When I when not, I act- not Bollocks. Uh, uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. When I actually was allowed to see what the creature looked like or what it was prepared to show me, it was this lattice work. If you imagine a spider and then imagine multiple awesome. images of that spider that are kind of linked together, multiple images at different scales that are all linked <laughs> together. It's as if this thing was moving through a different sort of time. You know Marcel Duchamp's new Descending a Staircase, where you can see all the different stages of the movement at once? So if you imagine that you've got this spider, that it was moving around, but it was coming from background to foreground, and what you get is sort of several spiders, if you like, showing the different stages of its movement. <laughs> this is terrifying. <laughs> now if you imagine um, all of those arranged why, in a kind of shimmering is, uh, lattice that was turning did itself Andrew inside Getty out. also see this? I know, right? Um, like, is this the like, god phone for like the yeah. next gen god phone as you see like a spider god and like yeah, snakes right. from Rome okay. talking to you by um, all means uh, continue the demon <laughs> told him that it was good at mathematics uh, it's vain there's something fourth dimensional about this this is all stuff I was actually saying at the time while I was having the experience which was pretty extreme anyway over the next couple of weeks I started researching Asmodeus and found out that actually yeah he's the demon of mathematics also there's a thing which apparently traditionally he is able to offer one and this is called the Asmodeus flight. This is where the demon will pick you up, carry you into the air, into the sky, and you can look down and you can see all the houses as if their roofs had been removed, so you can see what's going on inside them. Now that is not a description of being carried through the air. That's not being moved into a higher physical space. That's what things would look like if you've been moved into a higher mathematical space. If you were actually in the fourth dimension, or if your perceptions were in the fourth dimension, looking down at the third dimension, you wouldn't see places as if the roofs of the houses had been removed. You'd see around the roofs of the houses in the same way that if you imagine a race of completely two-dimensional creatures living on a sheet of paper and if you draw a square and put one of those two-dimensional creatures inside it they are completely enclosed because every direction in their two dimensions is shut off to them if you then as a three-dimension creature were to reach down and pick up this two-dimensional speck because you can see through the roof which is a dimension he hasn't got so if you're a fourth dimensional creature looking at the third dimension you'd be able to see around the, uh, the walls of a sealed room this was interesting because it kind of confirms the fourth dimensional aspect of Asmodeus. Uh, huh. All right. Okay. Uh, I like yeah. how, like, the okay. idea of Jesus, like, even, it almost seems like he didn't think Jesus existed, which is, like, very, very well historically attested that there was such a person as Jesus. Like, it's very, very, like, I mean, like, if you want to say that's, like, you know, tenuous or something, like, it's much, much, much more tenuous that he didn't. And yet he's like, oh, yeah, you know, there's a fourth dimensional snake that like, it's like, what? Like, uh, well, yeah, uh, um, yeah, I mean, well, you know, he just wants, then he goes on to talk about doing mushrooms and how, you know, cool. you don't need to, but they do help. It, whatever gets you there. Awesome there. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's getting into some deep, some deep um, stuff. 
it's interesting that this is not I actually didn't realize that he was just like your standard like you know atheist dude who just like wrote fantasy and then he like saw a goetic demon I mean I think that his understanding of like you know his phenomenology of the of world I think is correct and that yeah like uh, uh things are like within us like everything that we experience is in a way internal but also like there is an externality to what's inside of us as well so I think that that uh, that point I think was was true and 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 uh, correct, but I don't know. I feel like uh, his whole idea of like oh I'll just worship this snake and like if I know that it's fake, it doesn't seem like it seems like he already fucked up because it doesn't seem like he actually does think Glycon isn't real. Um, well, he you mean he he does think that Glycon is not real? Yeah, I use a double negative, but yeah, you know, yeah. uh, sorry, I was just magically using a double negative. Uh, he was know, he actually said like you know the most magical thing right now is that we're having this conversation. What are the odds of that? You know, being a thing. And it's like okay, language is magic. Sure, I guess. Um, if you want to be, yeah, like or that. We'll, is he saying the most magical thing is that there's something at all instead of nothing? I don't know. No, I feel like I think, I think he's talking about like the technology, like being able to like transform oh, wow. consciousness through mm, conversation yeah. and language is like a form of magic. And it, in a, I, which, I mean, if you want to get real loose with it, maybe, I mean, like there's lots of people like that out there. Like he's hardly the most sus person in the world. I don't think that he's actually like a uh, necessarily pernicious force, but I kind of like am not all about like his, framework of like perceiving the world not that i'm sure like he wouldn't necessarily care but i don't know i find similar i mean again we're seeing i feel like we're seeing a lot of like resonances across these things because like what he's sort of doing like the whole idea of you know if i worship this false thing like that brings it into being like through my will and like it's something that is like both external and and, uh you know internal like i feel like the sort of magical or occult dimension of that like basically he's talking about like landian hyperstition you know or speculative materialism where a little you know, bit talking yeah. about kind of like bringing things into being through will in a way or like uh you know things that have uh their reality and their fit like fiction is somehow dissolved between them maybe you could yeah. say as a way to distinguish that yeah um, like I, their their fictionality <clears throat> is part of like their their uh their reality or there's like a blurring of these two things so yeah yeah i mean but again, it seems like he's like cavorting around with Asmodee, and like it's the same entity Glycon. that like appeared to Philip K. Dick. Yeah, and, like, that's they're all, weird like, too. Because didn't Philip snakes, K. Dick like... get a god phone call? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, people are gonna get go mad insane. because I feel like I, you know, I feel like people shouldn't get mad because I'm always like, you know, uh, clowning on Christianity at various times. But I did find it kind of like weird and uh, pointless, and like just kind of like. Uh, you know, tendentious, basically, like, uh, you know, based on certain presumptions that he would say, like, all this seems reasonable to me that a snake carried me into the fourth dimension. But like the idea that there was a historical Jesus. Yeah, that was the most absurd thing. Like, like you know, yeah, I understand that there's like, you know, there's a miraculous aspect to Jesus's virgin birth and for and him, you know, going to heaven or the idea of heaven or whatever. Yeah. But like, he almost seemed to be skeptical. Like he seemed to think that Christianity was going to fall apart because Jesus didn't. And he was like, Christianity shouldn't fall apart if Jesus didn't exist. Yeah. That's kind of what he was saying. Actually, if Jesus didn't exist, then I think that, yeah, Christianity would and should then fall apart. But of course Jesus did exist. I mean, I, 
you know, I, I think, think he's just kind of true. putting it like, on the same plane as like his magical encounters with like sus light beings is like Jesus yeah, is just another sus light being culture and there's lots of like annoying about. Christians out there, you know, yes, of course. But, like um, whatever, like, I don't know. I just think, yeah, I mean, also a lot of these quotes and stuff are than Grant Morrison, but also uh, a lot of this stuff is from like the 2000s. So I feel like yeah. dunking on, I wouldn't go cavorting Christians. around with any snake entity. Probably myself. not. I don't think that's necessarily a dope thing to do or that there's like any like I don't understand what the re- returns in that are supposed to be, you know, I don't know. But like, there, what are you supposed to get out of that? Uh, I don't know. But he does like being taken to the fourth dimension and taught about mathematics from the snake. Uh, All right. I mean, I'll yeah, pass. it sounds dicey. The last yeah. thing that we'll move Stem. on but in, Stem this, is sus. in this interview, in this interview, uh, he talks about the relationship between magic and art. And Mm -hmm. I'll just read this paragraph here because I I can't not. Um, He says, Alistair Crowley performed the rites of Eleusius in London using music, perfume, incantation, ritual, dance. He had Victor Newberg dancing at that one. S.O. McGrether Magger did a rites of Isis. He put together the Golden Dawn Society. Kenneth Anger, somebody I've got a great deal of admiration for. He and people who are slightly affiliated with him, Maya Darren, these are sort of people who have taken the old ideas of magic and then thought, well, why not apply them to the technology that we have now? That's what all that's all that uh, the previous magicians ever did. The fact that it all looks archaic to us now, that's because things were archaic in real life. If they had had access to printing presses, video cameras, and sound recording equipment, they would have used it. I'm sure that John D. would have released several seats of his Anakian corals. We have to not be locked into the past. Kenneth Anger was shrewd enough to see that film was, in its way, as any art form is, a magical technology. It can be used for creating startling effects, perhaps magical effects. I think that all this goes back to the fact that originally there can't have been any difference between magic and art. Any form of art must have started out as magic. The earliest visual arts we have are cave paintings at Lascaux, now, these are shamanic, the very way that the cave paintings at Lascaux are arranged, where you have to go through very narrow, sort of crouching series of corridors almost before you get to the center cave or these wonderful animal pictures. It must have been done as some sort of initiation. You're led through this darkness, and when you get to the center chamber, probably lit up by fire, you would not have seen drawings of animals on the walls. You would have had animals flying around the room. That is because if you'd never seen a drawing before, just imagine what the very idea of representation before people had the idea of visual representation what a magical act it was to draw some marks on a cave wall and have everybody understand that this sort of humped line was actually the spine of that ox that we killed two days ago and to understand that a line on a wall was in some way the animal you know that's something we can't really grasp now because we are so used to looking at a picture and thinking of course well it's a picture it's a picture of a cow it's a picture of a horse but back then what an incredible leap of consciousness to actually come up with representational art, which of course leads to written, written language. The first people to do it would have been magicians. I mean, he might be right about that. Well, some, yeah, they're definitely, I mean, like that's definitely true that there always has been like an association between magic and, uh, and language. For sure. sure. All I art mean, is magic. Also, he loves Kenneth Anger. <laughs> yeah, he loves Kenneth Anger. It's great admiration for him. Yeah, great I admiration. mean, I'm not saying that you like can't, you know, enjoy Alan Moore's comics. I think, or you know, whatever Alan Moore, like his whatever, if he's written a novel or an essay or something, I think that's fine. You know, I think that's true of Kenneth Anger. Like, you know, sure. I mean, Kenneth Anger is a little bit more like on the borderline because he might have like done a snuff fi- snuff film uh, or like For you know the I don't know yeah we don't yeah we don't know if Alan Moore actually harmed anybody or like True. you know uh, 
if he's truly like uh motivated by like darkness but just like you know be aware you know like whatever like uh i'm not like and i'm not saying there's something to be learned from i mean even like from crowley like that's interesting like historically there's something to be like learned from that like you know uh, he's an influential figure so is alan yeah. moore like you know there's yeah. uh there's enjoyment to be had and like uh you know, some of the stuff, I mean, some of the stuff that these people produce, like not to compare Andrew Getty to Alan Moore any more than I already have, <laughs> but like, you know, some of it is just like, you know, just radiates evil and, and hellishness and like, uh, there's no joy to be found in it, like the evil within, yeah. but you know, uh, sometimes like they can produce like interesting works of art. Uh, but you know, uh, maybe the, like, just, you know, be careful. Like, uh, I wouldn't necessarily take Alan Moore as like my moral, ethical, spiritual lodestar, like in this world, you know, like, I uh, either. I think, you know, some of these people can have of interesting insights, uh, and sometimes they might actually be like plugged into certain things or, or know, uh, about certain things in a way where, uh, you know, maybe they've t- spoken with people, people have sought them out, like they've learned things, uh, through like their conversation, their connections that, give them a certain insight. So it's worth to consider what is in their work, but I wouldn't be like, yeah, this guy has it all figured out. Like I'm gonna, like, I, I wouldn't like model my own behavior on the behavior of like, if a snake appears to you, like you should worship it or so, you know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, uh, or pretend to worship wrong. it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I would not be like worshiping a snake. Like, yeah, there's like quote unquote a snake in a lot of religions, but like, uh, I feel like not a lot of them say to worship it. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's in the Bible as like a villain. Yeah, I mean, right? are you supposed to worship the Kundalini Unless, serpent, or is it just like you know a metaphor? I don't even know about that. I'm not I mean, sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. The snake's a complicated symbol, but yeah, it's represent. Uh, well, according to Wikipedia, it's an energy released within an individual using specific meditation techniques. It's represented symbolically as a serpent coiled at the base of the spine. I mean, that you know, like the snake is a symbol of energy. That's yeah. kind of a little bit different from like worshiping a snake god. I feel like you know, as like kind of a an abstraction or like a, a symbolic uh, form of energy. You know, that's For sure. common in like various you know magical religious systems. Like uh, I, I, but I do think that you know you could maybe say like that even like you know, even if you're like not down with like paganism or incarnate gods or anything, I still feel like that's not quite as sus as worshiping a snake puppet. Um, <laughs> that you know is pretty, fake, and a, or and or a spider, uh, and or like a demon. Don't worship a spider god or a demon yeah, or a reptoid, basically. Yeah, just yeah. don't. Just don't. Um, just don't. Okay. Yeah. Should we move on to the next one? It's kind of related. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so did I read the last one or did you? Um, I think I don't even remember. I think I you read did. the last one. Okay, yeah, so the this one, Ossificans asks, "Do you think Satan is a computer?" <laughs> I love that question. It's <laughs> a great question. Uh, yeah, I don't think Satan is a computer, but I think that he's definitely like very uh, well. Uh, he's very fluent with and familiar with computers. I think that uh, Dajjal might be a computer. I don't know if Sa- Satan himself is definitely not a computer, but. Uh, or I would say he's not a computer, except maybe insofar that, like, everything is a computer that computes. Uh, no, you know, fuck maybe that. Maybe in the abstract think, sense yeah, of, like, like a everything being a computer, computer as long as it computes. Yeah, no, I do not think Satan is a computer in that way. 
Or like um, such an advanced computer, like from the future, that is a sort of um, no, demiurge. Uh, I that... mean, only in, like if we're a wet CPU, then you could call Satan like you know a flame CPU. Uh, like Satan is a, a cloud CPU. being that moved to like the center of the Milky Way galaxy and then decided to like take over a planet and rule it. You mean for... like a nanite cloud being? Yeah, like a nanite cloud being. That mm. no, I don't think Satan is a nanite cloud being, but I do think that. Satan, it definitely is all about like AI and like yeah. I think that the idea Satan wants of, to be a computer. Satan would like a computer as a vessel, and he would yes. love to encourage uh, human beings to have the hubris of like creating life in the image of God, you know, or in like they it, it, they would love to encourage humans to like uh, you know uh, take unto themselves the like creation of life uh you know that is reserved for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he would love that uh, <laughs> yeah so yeah. yeah I don't think that he is a computer but I think that he loves computers and the antichrist or Dajjal may well be something like a computer I uh, think that I could see or like a, a system a, like a cybernetic system and something yeah like I, I could see like some kind of dark futuristic Silicon Valley scheme to create some kind of computer god that like manages us better than we could ever manage ourselves or yeah. something like that. Even Elon that Musk would be like, said satanic. he was like worried about that because <laughs> someone like mentioned he's probably it. Probably so like he's probably helping so, build one, it. One of his Silicon Valley friends. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I felt like the reason why he expressed concern over it was because like he wanted to like uh, you know uh, throw a wrench into the competition. <laughs> but uh, <Yeah>. someone <laughs> sort like yeah, someone mentioned that they would be interested in developing like an AI deity to give human beings instructions. And Elon Musk was like, no, that's absolutely not. That's that's terrifying. But He's just I creating like the literal technological means by which they could do that by creating Neuralink. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, oh well, no, just, I totally disagree with this. But let me build well, yeah. the thing that'll allow it to happen. Well, he has classic arrogance. He has the same kind of arrogance, which is that it maybe uh, he has the ethical sensibility for what it's worth to recognize that that would be bad. That maybe the person saying like an AI god sounds great doesn't have, but he doesn't have like the self awareness to like realize that like himself falling into that trap. Like he is a very hubristic and arrogant uh, person, as are a that lot of these could, people who that are could be with true. AI. But I, who even knows with Elon Musk? Like, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, you know. again, it's so, totally possible that he's just like saying that to like cast doubt and like discourage people from being interested in like a competitor when he wants to be the one to build an AI god. Yeah, uh, he certainly but I is think into sometimes... like Rocco's Basilisk and shit, you know. Well, so, I don't he, know. he is, but at the same time, he's from the PayPal mafia. You can't trust any of those motherfuckers. And I feel like a lot of his big projects, there's always like a dual use thing that doesn't get talked about. Like, I was just reading the other day that Tesla, I guess what they make, I think somebody in the grotto was saying that they make a ton of money off just, like, hoarding and trading and selling off, like, carbon credits for, like, electric vehicles. And, like, that's actually (laughs) where they make their bread and butter. Like, they don't actually, like, make their profits off their cars. And so, and they just, like, they sell it to other companies that don't sell as many electric cars. And, like, that's where, like, 
most of their income. I don't know if that's like literally true. That's but hilarious. Yeah, it's like it's a but that I kind mean, of thing. Or like, sense. you know, like uh, SpaceX is like all you ever hear is him talking about like 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 Mez exploration, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, so he can go be an Elon like Werner von Ron wanted and Will <laughs> Mars and all that shit. But they never talk yeah. about how like what they make their bread and butter off of is like sending Pentagon satellites up for the Pentagon. Like yeah. they do tons of defense contracts. Or so like Bill Gates militarizing talking about space. sustainability, you know, yeah, he's like, we need to go to Mars so that like when, you know, the planet dies, we'll be safe. But he's actually building side up to the Pentagon. Bill Gates is talking about conserving everything, but actually he's like buying up farmland and like, you know, doubling down on all the most abusive, like, uh, you know, harmful farming practices. Yeah. Uh, they're all like total hypocrites. I'm, yeah, I'm I mean, still on the tip. obsessed with AI gods. I think um, they want like AI controlled bubble cities in the future if the climate gets bad enough. Um, and that's oh, what yeah. like that's what the the fucking hyperloop is for. You notice how it's like yeah, he made they, this big deal about how he's gonna like revolutionize transportation, but really what he's doing is like building an underground tunnel system that yeah, can like they shoot want Nick between Land's, different places. Uh, vision of like you know a Gattaca race, and everyone on the yeah. outside of the bubbles would just perish and die. Yeah, um, they just while be... the Gattaca race lives in the bubble cities. Yeah, exactly. They would love that, and they would view that as like beating the climate catastrophe. Yeah. Like, that's like, what they're talking about yeah. when they say, like, it's b- funny, build yeah, back better. It's funny, yeah, because they've made like, it into bubbles. an existential risk, you know, when it doesn't necessarily, it's not really an existential risk for them. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, they what they what they mean, like, about the urgency is, like, making sure that they keep their power and yeah. that, like, the, like, you know, the results of it don't, that, like, you know, when people see the sort of consequences for society, the social and economic consequences, they don't like rise up and they don't, we don't actually build back better. That's what they're like. They, yeah, they want to build back better for them or they want to keep things good for them. Um, and not have us build back better. Like, you know, against what really they've caused. Um, they want, yeah, they're not going to overthrow their own class, you know. No, in exactly. Their quest and in fact, the only the existence, the only world they want to save is like the bubble of themselves. They don't have like any. Which is why I think it might be a literal for, like, humanity as a whole. Well, they do. It might humanity be a literal as a whole. bubble. As long as there's one person alive, you know, humanity lived. You know, <laughs> it doesn't like we don't need like all these uh, pro populations, etc. Yeah. Like humanity keep, will go on more than as long one, as like Elon. But... Yeah, you know, well, you know what I mean. My point is yes. that, like, humanity in an abstract sense, like, as long as there's one, like, a species isn't extinct as long as there's one, or at least two, a breeding pair, you know? So if there's a whole community of, like, elite people chosen for, you know, their outstanding personal essays. Just like that, that you know. quote in the Nick Land uh, thing about how, like, you exactly, could apply the yeah. same logic to, like, the pilgrims to the bubble cities uh, are going to yeah. be of the highest caliber and the highest stock, and it'll all be climate-controlled. Yeah. Well, it all probably what that, the uh, same people who are going to be colonizing, you know, the whole uh, colonizing Mars is the same impetus as, like, the bubble cities. Like, I mean, us all from. like, why, were, why yeah. were those Texas oil billionaires is bringing Steve Bannon in to like do the biosphere or the biodome like project in the 90s and then he like sabotaged it. I mean, are they just mm-hmm. thinking about because everything about Mars exploration, we're totally like uh, off. To, well, I feel like it's not totally off topic. Uh, <laughs> the, everything that could be used for Mars exploration could be used to build bubble cities on Earth connected by hyperloops that exclude people <laughs> that don't have like the 5G microchip in them or the 10G microchip and like all the children in there get like crispered to be like enhanced and 
people start like doing eugenics on uh, themselves. Yeah, you saw the uh, you saw the new Dune movie. Did they mention the Butlerian Jihad or like the whole idea of like the thinking machines needing to be destroyed? Because um, I kind of forget. I don't think um, so. I don't think they mentioned yeah, it in the first I, one. Yeah, I'm wondering if they would bring it up because I feel like that needs to happen. And, like, they feel like they wouldn't, like, let it be mentioned because, like, that seed of that idea could be dangerous because, like, we need to just, like, say like say no AI, like, no robots. Yeah. Like, and put our feet down. Like, no, you know, of uh, mechanical atoms mm. to, like, you know, achieve sentience. That's just, like... A nightmare like and the people who create it will just like become absolute megalomaniacs over doing that um and the machines themselves will have like dangerous potentialities i'm just gonna you know f- go full luddite on this one and uh say that we need the Bolarian jihad against against the thinking machines uh it needs to not i think so go down i yeah. think so um, because they think what their masters program them to think so it's really just you think it's like an they always try to pass it off like it, it's this sort of oh, a, like amoral, rational, yeah. rational just like non-biased. Using the data, just using the data. Just yeah. using the data. Synthesizing yeah. the data, yes. Mm. And like all manner of horrors can be snuck in under like this sort of like data-driven approach because it's like seemingly not biased and doesn't have a nefarious double purpose to it. You're just a wacky yes. conspiracy theorist if you and think And they're that. also like the perfect slaves uh so you don't need the rest of humanity so they can all die in parishes of the bubble while, you're right like, like you know. we don't we shouldn't want <laughs> like like an army of like boston dynamics robots that can do all kinds of manual labor to become like affordable and profitable and stuff like versus real people like I we're mean, starting to put has you know been so awesome so far we just need to make sure that everything is automated when uh, i mean uh, as i kind of alluded to earlier uh the, the week that we're recording this like there was a little bit of a crossover between like movie bob twitter and like uh sort of like conspiracy adjacent like program <laughs> to kill type twitter and i saw like yeah. uh you know on um, movie bob's timeline like he had posted something that was like what we need is for every job to become automated so that physical p- strength is has no longer has any meaning and everything is only about intellectual prowess <laughs> like you fucking dumbass like it won't end there like yeah, it won't become yeah. like a utopia no. where He'll like get everyone values like uh, he's not getting into the bubble. I know. He's, he's not, not getting, getting into, into the, the bubble. bubble. He's not uh, getting into the bubble. No way is he getting into the bubble at all. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna be like in charge of like, you know, like keeping people out of the bubble. Like he's gonna be appointed yeah. to like enforce the bubble barrier, but not be let in himself. <laughs> <laughs> like He'll promise um, him he will be after he, you know, roots out every yeah, exactly. conspiracy theorist on left right. Twitter and yeah. denounces them. The, like, well, they'll make some kind of point system, like, where, like, you know, based on, like, YouTube monetization or something, and, like, it'll just, like, keep sort of getting higher and higher, like, the threshold that you need to meet to be able to get access, mm. and it'll always be, like, just, like, above, like, what the, the number of points that, like, his latest review of, like, Eternals 500 has <laughs> has got has earned. But, Sad yeah, future. like, uh, just the idea that anybody could be, like, in favor of this, like, you know. I mean, yeah, I mean, it reminds me of, like, the one good Tucker point that we mentioned, like, you know, when we're talking about how, like, of course, like, neither of these illusory forced dialectics that are designed to, like, perpetuate psyops and, like, politically paralyze us, like, are totally uh, invalid. And, like, one of the only good things I've ever heard Tucker say is that, you know, we shouldn't, like, just allow uh, CEOs or whatever to uh, automate trucks 
even though that might increase their bottom line and there actually should be some protection for the people whose livelihood depends on like driving trucks you sure. know i don't know like what that looks like you know the practical like you know how these things would be enforced but i feel like a good starting point is like a bolt layering jihad against like any kind of like the that's the th- that automation is the, thinking machines i like, think that that is bad. the it's thing it's been bad already like, to the like, it's already you, happened you have to put yeah. your foot down against the entire like technological ecosystem a little bit to push back against any of this shit because otherwise it feels like the inexorability of it is just like, well, but then they're going to figure out how to do self-driving trucks and they're going to like, what are you going to like China is going to do it and we won't. So then we're all just going to have to adopt it and it's going to be a race to the bot. It just feels like technology is like dragging us like this albatross into like a race to the bottom and its momentum cannot be stopped. That is but definitely the way in which Satan is a computer, or like a device. The computer is a device of Satan. Uh, yeah, it's definitely possessed. The the computer is uh, <laughs> is definitely yeah. the PC, the Pazuzu computer. Uh, yeah, has wreaked lots of havoc and is kind of it just keeps gobbling up things. And I think it'll it'll turn itself into some kind of like manifestation of satanic energies. Uh, even more in so many than ways it already, it already is. is. If I we, mean, just if, look at you know. like Silicon Valley. Look at like everything that like the tech sector represents, like in American society and globally. I hate it. I hate it's it. repugnant. I it's awful, and it's like, and everyone despises it, and yet it persists. Um, and much yet like Satan, it persists. <laughs> Never, yeah. nevertheless, it persists. Nevertheless, yeah. It yeah. Always forget who read what. Um, I think. Do you want that, to read the next one? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Maybe we could weave these two together, because like. Yeah, they're kind of related. One is, do you believe uh, by Easy? Do you believe that Lime was a bioweapon? And then the next one by Blur Blue Rider Strong is, how's about West Nile virus? Mysteriously got from Israel to MY in '99. Caught again, Israel. Uh, anyway, uh, supposedly via mosquitoes surviving the flight in baggage. 
I think it was a test balloon. Really? So two okay. bioweapons. I guess how's about what's now virus was actually referring in the chat to the prior question. Uh, yeah, saying, I think so. Was West Nile virus a bioweapon, or just asking generally about? I, like, I think they're yeah, they're seems asking. Like they're was, implying was, it was, a was West Nile yeah. virus also a bioweapon? Yes. Mm-hmm. So Lyme if disease so. and West Nile virus were they bioweapons? I don't know. I really don't know enough about like the history of Lyme disease. I remember West Nile virus being a thing when I was young. Uh, yeah. Like, that we had to be worried about like encephalitis. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, I just straight up think Lyme disease was um, <laughs> like I remember there's that that weird island I think off the coast of uh, Connecticut maybe mm-hmm. where they had done a bunch of bioweapons kind of testing mm-hmm. um, and I think it, it's been written about more in like mainstream yeah, publications in the last it, few years Lyme disease more commonly than West Nile virus. Uh, when I search Lyme disease bioweapon on Google, the first thing I get is, no, Lyme disease is not an escaped military bioweapon. <laughs> I love the no article. That's funny because uh, what I get is Ross Duthat on his chronic Lyme experience. I didn't know Ross Duthat had Lyme disease. That's interesting, yeah. Well, I'm he's wondering. such a New Englander. It kind of makes mm, sense. Yeah. Yeah, what's more What's more of a New England? But I, I remember people, well, I don't know if it was an article in like The Atlantic or something, but it talked about how there was like a weird, almost kind of like the stigma around HIV and AIDS, but it was seen as like a hippie or like a hiker disease oh, yeah, or even like you're a like yuppie. Out in the woods getting tits, yeah, yeah, like it serves you right. <laughs> like it's like <laughs> such a weird reaction to have. Yes. Um, and also like the vague kind of um, oh yeah, know, Plum like the Island symptoms. is where people say it's from. Plum right? Island, Plum that Island, exactly, yeah. mm-hmm. exactly, right. and. That's in New York, yeah. yeah. Plum Island, New York, and Fort Detrick is another place people say that maybe it came from. Um, I see. Yeah, yes. maybe it first developed there. Um, apparently, there's a controversy around chronic Lyme disease. It is not recognized in the medical literature, and most medical authorities advise against long-term antibiotic treatment for Lyme disease. Huh. Mm-hmm. So they're saying it's kind of like a, I didn't a psychosomatic that. thing. Yeah, because I know people who are like, I always have Lyme disease. You know, I'm gonna have. Lyme I mean, Ross do that says I That's have chronic Lyme. Yeah, it's disease. kind of like a so it's kind of like a more gelens thing after a certain point. Wow, he actually uh, published this like t- he publishes two days ago on October thirtieth, twenty twenty one. How I became a science experiment. Wow, mm. and he's ta- always talking about trust the science. That was the mantra many people repeated in the face of the COVID nineteen pandemic. Like an entire worldview yes. condensed mm-hmm. into three words with many implications. <laughs> I love Ross Duthat. <laughs> I can already <laughs> tell where this is going. Okay. Yeah, um, well, I mean, he about six years ago, he got Lyme disease, and he feels like he still has symptoms. I mean, Justin Bieber, I think, had chronic Lyme oh, disease. Oh, yeah, didn't Justin Bieber, like, go into some kind of, like, tube, like, hyperboric chamber to deal was maybe that wasn't about Lyme disease maybe that was just like for other reasons but I remember he did like a hyperbaric sleep chamber or something I called it hyperboric but maybe they're the same yeah. hyperbaric hyperboric hyperborean um, interesting you know yeah, yeah. So, hyperborean I mean, sleep chamber um yeah Huh. So I, it almost sounds kind of like a long COVID thing, but like uh, they're on opposite sides of the political spectrum because, you know, it's like the mm. libs that yeah, believe exactly. in long COVID, but they're being right. like, no, Ross do that. Lyme, no, chronic Lyme disease is fake. Have chronic Lyme disease. Yeah. I didn't even, but I actually <laughs> have like heard more like, uh, you know, people who are like in the, uh, I'm unwell or like, you know, uh, health, like, you know, not everyone is healthy or, you know, that type of thing, like sort of like 
you know, like disabled activism, be talk about having chronic Lyme disease. Oh um, yeah. Well, I feel makes, like I have, I've, I mean, maybe I'm misremembering, but I think, I think I, you know, I have seen, you know, not like, you know, uh, Ross do that type people, uh, talk about having chronic Lyme. Oh, definitely. That's been a thing for, for years. And yeah, the origins of it are very sketchy. I think there was actually an article recently about how there was a vaccine developed, uh, by Smith Klein Beecham, mm-hmm. but then they sort of, um, didn't release it ever <laughs> in the nineties. Yeah. They approved mm-hmm. the FDA approved it in 1998. Uh, it's entry into clinical practice was slow for a variety of reasons, including its cost, which was often not reimbursed by insurance companies. Um, Oh, but wait, subsequently hundreds of vaccine recipients reported they had developed autoimmune and other side effects supported by some advocacy groups. A number of class action lawsuits were filed against GlaxoSmithKline alleging the vaccine had caused these health problems. Um, but these claims are investigated by the FDA and the CDC, which found no connection between the vaccine Mm -hmm. and the autoimmune, uh, complaints but despite the lack of evidence the complaints were caused by the the yeah they were caused by the vaccine sales plummeted and lime lime ricks was uh like it looks like limericks like huh. i don't know like a sneaky irish uh, leprechaun trick uh limericks <laughs> or lime ricks was withdrawn from the u.s market by GlaxoSmithKline in 2002 in the setting of negative media coverage and fears of vaccine side effects um wrong wrong not true no vaccine ever hurt anybody so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the, but, you know, the people, uh, the, the Max Planck Institute is where it was developed. And the, one of the, the developer there said this just shows how irrational the world can be. There was no scientific justification for the first OSPA vaccine, Limerix, being pulled. Um, mm, okay. Wow. So, uh, wow, so lots the of people had bad side effects. Wrong. Wow, mm. they were totally wrong. But then they pulled it from the market anyway, which I, I'm sure I didn't actually read that whole article. I have a bad feeling that they would spin it around like this is what happens when disinformation happens. Like people with Lyme disease aren't able to get their vaccines. But it seems like they don't need it, right? Well, <laughs> like, and, unless you believe Ross Duthit and the other um, people that say that they still have, you know symptoms from it years okay. later and if it was developed as a bioweapon i'm not a lyme disease expert i don't know uh i don't know but, either or, i'm not even like not only am i not a lyme disease expert i'm not like well versed in lyme disease period i feel like there's a lot of different uh things going on here uh so yeah. they pulled the vaccine but they claimed that it did work they claimed there were no side effects they like then that the, it was all the fda and the cdc like investigated it and then weren't. they said that mm-hmm. these side effects people were claiming were not due to the vaccine and then, but then they pulled it from the market after that because it got a lot of negative press attention for again. I feel like we're in effects. the kind of like <laughs> vaccine bioweapon trap where like we need to pick one to be the bioweapon or come up with some kind of complicated maneuver uh, to make it. Yeah, make sense or you could just say that both. like the the vaccines are not as safe as the company that developed them claimed that it was. Yeah. I guess, which, you know, or maybe like the, they're unrelated, like they're not, they're not aware of it being a bioweapon. Like they think that it's a real, uh, disease, but their vaccine sucked at, like by accident. 
like the vaccine. That's possible. Or in a bioweapon. I'm just asking what you're. Yeah, what and you know they're profiting off the bioweapon uh, that was released. Like, in, in yeah. The public. Um, and uh, this is uh, this is an interesting little uh, quote from a New Haven Register article about Lyme disease being a bioweapon. In a news release, uh, Smith, who I guess is Christopher Smith, a Republican from New York, uh, sorry from New Jersey. Pardon me. He introduced an amendment to the House Defense Authorization Bill on July 11th. Causing, uh, calling for the Pentagon Inspector General to investigate whether the Department of Defense experimented with ticks for potential use as weapons of biological warfare between 1950 and 1975. Um, so, yeah, I guess there has been, like, some, yeah, books about this, and people have uh, heard about it, so it made its way to this. Um, so, in a news release, Smith said that he drafted the amendment after reading a number of books and articles suggesting that significant research had been done at U.S. government facilities, including Fort Detrick, Maryland, and Plum Island, New York, to turn ticks into, and other insects into bioweapons. Have these experiments caused Lyme disease and other tick-borne disease to mutate and spread, he said in the release. Philip J. Baker, executive director, so it seems like this actually, like, is kind of, uh, part of, like, the current debate around like vaccines and health and bio uh weapons and gain of function research and things like that like you know yeah. it seems like it's not incidental that this is coming up now uh but anyway so philip j baker executive director of the american lyme disease foundation said the notion that ticks would be attractive to host for weapons of biological warfare is laughable and that theories tying lyme disease to government intervention is something experts have heard before it's not new the issue was raised before baker <laughs> said um he hmm. went, uh, the ALDF's website has information debunking uh, the Plum Island and Fort Detrick theory as a source for the spread of Lyme disease. The specific strain that some claim was made by the government uh, and escaped from a high containment biological warfare laboratory, Borrelia burgdorferi, was identified in museum specimens of ticks showing the presence of the strain. More recent studies revealed that the Iox, Iox, Ixodase, sorry, Ixodase ticks and B. burgdorferi were present in the northeastern and midwestern regions of the U.S. in pre-colonial times and many thousands of years before European settlements were established in the U.S., reads the ALDF section of the government creation theory. Lyme disease certainly existed in the U.S. long before anyone knew how to diagnose and treat it. The website gives the historical information. The Plub Island Animal Disease Center was managed by the U.S. Army Chemical Corps as a component of his biological warfare program in 1952. The biowarfare program was abolished by President Richard Nixon in 1969, and the PIADC program was transferred to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Baker said that information on ALDF's website dates back to when former Minnesota governor and retired professional wrestler Jesse Ventura visited Plum Island in the 2010 episode of his television show, Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura. Nice. Baker rejected the idea of ticks being used. Yeah, I remember I remember seeing some episodes of that. I remember the one where he went to go to FEMA camps. I remember the one where he investigated reptoids, too. But he was skeptical. Oh, yeah, he was yeah. like, are you kidding me? <laughs> You're telling me there is reptilian aliens living in this house? Or something, you know, like, uh, <laughs> but uh, Baker rejected the idea of ticks. This is the part that I thought was interesting. Baker rejected the idea of ticks being used as carriers for weapons of biowarfare for several reasons. First, an agent of biowarfare should be capable of creating chaos and havoc. He said smallpox, Ebola, and anthrax could be used quickly to incapacitate targets or cause rapid illness. Lyme disease doesn't fit into that category, he said. I wouldn't consider using Borrelia, he said. It's not life-threatening or lethal at all. Um, additionally, Baker said 95% of Lyme disease cases are reported in 12 states because ticks cannot survive in dry climates. That makes ticks weak candidates to cause a devastating blow to a population, he said. So, 
I think that's interesting. Like, for one, I mean, this guy, like, I, I'm not necessarily saying he's wrong that, like, you know, I'm not going to go and say, like, uh, that Lyme disease didn't exist beforehand. But yeah. I do think that, like, you know, or, uh, you know, I'm not going to commit, like, either way. Like, I'm sure that the people who are, like, on the Lyme disease bioweapon tip, like, could, uh, you know, uh, debunk his debunking, but uh, in some way. But I do think that it's an interesting, like, idea and doesn't necessarily, like, uh, uh, ring to me as logical as apparently it does to him that, like, any bioweapon should necessarily, like, create instant chaos and havoc and just, like, destroy the population. It seems like something that could just, like, cripple the population and trap them in an endless lockdown could also be yep. useful <laughs> like you know yeah, something based that on the effects I think of about COVID, that with... i feel like that would be also like a pretty good bioweapon like it wouldn't be i almost like i wonder like you know if in the long term something like that could be a more effective bioweapon than something that just like decimates the population completely and then like burns itself out somehow oh um, yeah yeah well, I mean, for one, I guess for I mean, different goals, maybe, you know, for one, know. like like Rat G13, which was so lethal in high concentrations, but had really no easy ability to spread among humans, like aside from the, the guys who were in the bat cave that caught it. And so, the, you know, there's that problem of something. If something is too lethal, then yeah. it kills off its host too quickly right, and it can't spread. This. Yeah. And I think the social dynamics, I think you absolutely have to wonder with something like covid is this not the perfectly convenient type of virus to like cause, yeah. you know, the, I mean, like, that makes to sense. use as kind of a Trojan horse to push through right. what a he whole said, new set of policies, like social right. policies. What he said makes sense if you're like, you know, an evil like terrorist who's like from somewhere else and like you're just going to like drop a vial yeah. of smallpox in the middle of a crowded street and then like run back to Iran or <laughs> North Korea or whatever. But like yeah, if you're doing yeah. an inside job by a weapon, you know, uh, as like a control tactic, uh, then just think about it. If like the globalists, you know, or anybody else like did have a design to maliciously release this thing at like the Wuhan military games, (laughs) something that like, and especially something that spreads as well as it does, like it would be bad for them if it killed too many people. Cause then all the rich people that get it might die. die Yeah. And so nobody wants to sign up for that shit. So it's this, it's this basically this yeah, virus that people aren't that, vaccinated to begin with. So like you know, uh, you'll die before there's a chance for like vaccine mandates and like papers, please stuff. You know, so exactly. And you kind of had to like lock down a little bit with everybody else. I don't think you could vaccinate someone against anthrax, could you? I feel like it's a different type of thing. Uh, no, I think they did have um, a drug that they would give people as like a I don't know if it was like a prophylactic or something like that. I think now they have an anthrax vaccine maybe but like i remember the, the bush administration a, like was taking I, I, they were like taking some kind of drug because they were there was a fear that you know they could get an anthrax, wow, there is an anthrax vaccine interesting uh, yeah you can yeah, i think I it's mostly like military people that get it bacteria but okay anyway well yeah i guess it makes yeah. sense but you know it's like that you wouldn't want to unleash some kind of bola like thing that anybody could catch like through casual well you can't catch a bola by casual contact but let's say you Let's say you wanted to be the most evil, like the make the most evil sicko virus possible. Scorpio you make would, like airborne yeah. Ebola or something, and but even that would, like, you'd have like Tom Hanks like with his like flesh falling off or something. <laughs> you know, it would be like it would be like too much. You know, too much, and you wouldn't want to release something like that to just like 
decimate everybody because once you release it you can't like tell it not to attack anybody it comes in contact with it's like releasing a xenomorph for like uh michael myers or something i guess the best thing would be like to have a perfect vaccine give it to all the globalists uh somehow and well, then, Moderna was working on one with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Mm. I wonder, it's probably why they well, were able I to, like, I saw some theory it. that was, like, I don't know, did, did we ever mention this in the show? I saw some theory, like, some, it was on Twitter that I saw, it, definitely. I don't know where it originated, but it was someone who was, like, you know, if you're kind of conspiracy-minded, don't get the vaccine. But you're very conspiracy-minded, get the vaccine right away, because, like, soon they're gonna unleash the real virus, and, like... You know, that's what the vaccine will protect you from. And like everyone will be decimated, you know. Uh, yeah, like the round two of the Spanish flu where the second wave was like way deadlier and attacked young yeah, people. Yeah, but it would be like, reason. you know, the globalists, like they planned that like all the globalists would get vaccinated. And like, you know, uh, and then everyone in the global south would die like of the the real yeah. virus that they would unleash. For that was sure, the idea. Yeah. I mean, that was the idea. Yeah. Like uh, it's a hypothesis. Uh, yeah, I feel like, <laughs> you know, for sure. But you, when you look mean, at the groups like of people, the people that aren't who vaccinated. aren't vaccinated are the ones who like they want to die yeah. the most. So that's yeah. like something that's a stumbling block for me in terms of like the logic of like the vaccine being poison. Not to like say that there's no side effects at all, you know, for those of you who are like Red Kahina acolytes out there uh, who are like going to be upset Gina. at me. I'm going to stand or, like, up for uh, our vax skeptic uh, listeners here. No, no. I mean, um, it's fine to be a vax skeptic, <laughs> but you know, the, they were rushed and the Phil Greaves, the, like germ theory, oh, like, yeah. sit, well. like type shit. Like, no, I get the vax and I'm like, not saying there aren't side effects, but like, you know, that can happen. Uh, and that you definitely could be in a position where like you could take the vaccine, not having COVID. And then like the side effects you could have could be worse than what would have happened otherwise. That's definitely, yeah, it a, seems, a especially if you're a child or like a teenage boy, like your technical rate of getting myocarditis is like, it's all, it's all very rare, but it's like technically higher than getting hospitalized for COVID or like dying from COVID. So like yeah, you're technically running a high, but like you got to do it and you're going to be fucking banished from society if you don't and blah, blah, blah. So yeah. okay. what, what about West Nile virus in terms of like, I, I don't really remember the story of it and Wikipedia doesn't really have anything about it. I don't think the word Israel is mentioned in the article. It just showed up in New York in 1999 supposedly via mosquitoes surviving the flight in baggage. I don't know about that. I mean, West Nile virus is a weird one because it's kind of been around. People do get it. Animals get it. Um, But I guess they've done, unlike, say, COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2, they they seem to have been able to say that it's like almost a thousand years old. And I think it comes from Japan originally. I don't know how they know that, (laughs) but... That is what that that's the official story on the West Nile virus is that it kind of maybe eventually jumped to humans, but it but it it had like gotten into primates and I think horses and even like cetaceans, like a whale got no. it and like died. Yeah, no. I know. Um, um yeah, I mean so I, I don't remember. Know. No, a fatal case in a killer whale in Texas. Yeah. Hmm, yeah. Sad. But we you know, we didn't lock down our whole fucking society for it. And, I remember uh, there being a like lot of fear everything. about it. Um, there was a little bit. They always were trying. I think we talked about it in our first Dark no episode. And there's still no vaccine about that. There is uh, no vaccine. Yeah. And it's like they tried to make it a thing, just like with like Zika and some of these other things, but like H5N1. Like, but people just kind of weren't really vibing on it that hard. Um, it took a special kind of virus, I think, and enough of a like network, inter- you know, internet 
network infrastructure that could support yeah, like, so that you could work from home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they needed that. They were, my, it wasn't ready. I yet remember hearing it, about West Nile virus like nonstop, like at the time that it, that it came. You know, it was a big deal, like in the nineties uh, or in the early two thousands, whenever. Yeah, that was um, that it, like that summer where, where everyone was afraid of West Nile virus. But I guess like it's just, funny. I have almost no memory of it. Like I remember SARS. I remember the other ones, but I definitely like, remember West SARS Nile. too, and I remember H one N one. I don't know. Maybe um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why, because it seems like it would be all over. It was all over the U.S., right? I don't know why you would have heard of it less than I did. I was thinking maybe it's going to use. It was West well, Coast it, thing, it, it popped up in New York, so that might be yeah, a reason maybe. why. Like it, mm. you were in the hot spot of it, and I don't know. Yeah, if, I don't even know if it got to California. But, I think it was mm. all over, but it might have been more intense in New York. I don't know, but um, well, it started in New York. It was first detected in New York, in in the United States, at least. I feel like this is actually maybe even less deadly than COVID, maybe. Like, in about 80% of infections, people have fewer or no symptoms. About 20% develop a fever, headache, vomiting, or a rash. In less than 1%, there's neck stiffness, confusion, or seizures. Um, wow. So it's like 0.0001% of people die There's a really it? small percent. And if your nervous system is affected, then there's a 10% chance uh, within that small percent of people whose nervous system is affected, there's a 10% chance that you will die. Okay. So, um, yeah. So even weaker than COVID. And COVID's pretty weak COVID's, for most Yeah, people. not very strong. It's only like, <laughs> you know, Delta on a macro and... level that there's like any, you know. Uh, and certain COVID, populations. But, like, yeah. It seems like obesity is like a negative and like diabetes are like negative risk factors and of course like old age basically yeah like you know Um, colin powell like probably didn't die of covid but like it just was like the last little yeah it was the straw that broke pushed him over the edge i mean he was he was vaccinated but it didn't save him on him Interesting. And yeah. Maybe it killed him. Um, maybe it was. Uh, yeah, maybe I mean, it was Phil Greaves' uh, vaccine poison. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, uh, I know, no, I'm just digging myself know. deeper into the anger of the. Uh, but yeah, it's I mean, well, for Greaves. me, yeah, uh, well, for me, the thing <laughs> is, the ultimate stumbling block is like uh, they need to have some slaves left alive. You know, I think that they probably want like a good number of slaves left alive. You know, so well, they're not there yet. You know, like they, the AI is not there yet. The robotics are not there yet. Yeah. And yeah. So that's the, why, and I feel like the, the population people who they want to die are the people who are like, you know, the people who are vaccinated are like the, like the, you know, the obedient masses who believe in capital W wokeness and mask mandates and also like wealthier people uh, who are more like them. Whereas the people yeah. who are like, that's who they would prefer to die. I feel like, you know. It's um, hard for me to not think of like that most of these like rich liberal celebrities and famous people like are faking that they got vaccinated, even though they would be in a position to like maybe lie about it or, you know, yeah. live their lives without having the mandate forced on them. But they still seem so kind of they believe it like they believe that. Yeah, like I got this vaccine. Like they seem really psyched about it. So yeah, I don't think that. I mean, I think that they're not necessarily faking it, and I also think that like 
maybe Bobby. Yeah, I mean, well, we're, we're also frail. in the early stages. Like, we don't really know. I mean, there could be, like, down the line a thing where, like, the vaccine, like, this horrible side effects, and that'll be, like, a whole different psyop where, like, it's just this mass die-off, like, or something, you know? Not to... Like, I'm I just gonna get, hope, like, like just selfishly, fucking, I'm like... I'm yelled at for sewing for, like, doubt uh, <laughs> over people, that now. Yeah. Um, but, I don't know, for the people in my life, I just hope that, like, d- like Alex Jones is wrong, that that doesn't happen, because that would be pretty fucked up, and, like, there's nothing we can do about horrible, it now. Like, yeah, everyone's taking um, the death shot, so it's oh, kind of like... Mean, like uh, oh, the, like, the vaccine's like a time bomb. I was thinking like, well, you, know, you know, down the line. Like, like three your to fi- five years, your, fifth your immune booster, system, 50% you know? done. Right, exactly. Like, folks, it's it's so sad. These communists, they don't, <laughs> they don't know what they're getting themselves into, but you can't wake them up. You, you simply can't. Uh, I mean, or or it could be neither of those things could come to pass. There's not like a, uh, the vaccines yeah. don't kill everybody, and it also COVID like, doesn't mutate you know, into like a super deadly yeah, thing that kills minimize, off all the unvaccinated people. Yeah, not to minimize. No, I don't think that that will. I hope, yeah, we really hopefully, inshallah, neither will happen. But yeah, I mean, for now, it does seem like, even though definitely bad things can happen to you as a result of getting the vaccine, for sure, right now, it's like, you know, not at the point of like being, you know, uh, itself like a bioweapon trap. As we know, uh, that we know of, you know, maybe Alex Jones will be right. And like in five years, we're all fucked. Yeah, I know? feel like it's still too early to really That will be an say. interesting podcast vacuum because I bet like a bunch of podcasters will die off. Every ourselves. podcaster, yeah. except for like the QAnon people are going to be left, which doesn't seem like it would It'll fit just the be agenda of anybody. It'll just be literally Red podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, that will be. Wow, the meek will inherit the earth, but. <laughs> but yeah and i mean well, it doesn't help that rekahina is like a big like you know booster of that shit because like we all know she's getting that paul klein uh instructions from uh oh, yeah. this, the necrophone um <laughs> but yeah who knows um okay well yeah yeah can't can't really say don't know enough about west nile to say if it's like a bioweapon i mean um, i but, think that like in terms of i mean at a certain point you'll get to the, like the whole like you gotta see like okay well they're were they all bioweapons like is every virus that's like ever happened a bioweapon and then you're just kind of like slipping into like you know well our virus is even real you know you gotta <laughs> eventually deal with like you know do we just need to eat healthy and viruses are just like a made-up psyop Whereas, I'm again, like, I'm not a virologist. I'm really playing uh, fast and loose. There's yeah. one guy in the grotto. Uh, his name escapes me, but I think that anyone who's in the grotto will, like, recognize him. And he definitely was, you know, going to bat hard for, like, viruses aren't real and, like, it's all about your diet. Again, I, you know, I don't know enough. I wasn't, like, necessarily persuaded by what he was saying. Uh, I think that people did have some uh, compelling counter arguments that were raised. Uh, for the existence of viruses. Um, I think there's there are compelling arguments to be made that <laughs> there are a lot of environmental factors that, like, degrade, especially in our food supply, that oh, yeah, yeah, degrade yeah. our health. Mm. We have vitamin yes, deficiencies. Yes, yes, that's and true. Just, that's like, true. the lack of, like, no, no, vitamin D No, 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 of course, D diet alone. is very important, if not, you know, the most yeah. important thing and we in have terms these of your health. That poison You don't have uh, to pick one America. or the other. You don't have to pick one or the other in terms of our virus sure. is real or is diet important, you know. I, uh, I, definitely, yeah, I no, believe... You know, or I would, like, if I were to believe that viruses were real, uh, you know, b- taking the recommendation of the arguments of, uh, you know, uh, most, uh, you know, uh, medical specialists, you know, just assuming that there is such a thing as viruses, uh, you know, real epistemic crisis, but assuming that there there is, like, that would not uh, diminish what I think that everybody agrees that, you know, uh, yeah, our food's totally poison and, uh, you know, your diet is a big impact on your health. So those two things definitely could uh coexist but yeah i mean i i do think that like maybe something that could be said in terms of like even if 
not every single one of these diseases was developed at on Plum Island or Fort Detrick. Like there is kind of like an ongoing sort of social psyop around like the way that these diseases are like responded to. Um, and like the idea of like the coming pandemic and like, is this it? Is this disease X? Is this disease X? You know, like, uh, the question of like, is this the bioweapon? Is this the bioweapon is almost a logical response to like, is this disease, the, is this disease X that like has been the reaction to all these things, you know, because it's like a disease X social protocol or script that they've just yeah, been, waiting been written for the right up thing and to practiced. Yeah. And, uh, right. <laughs> like they're just ready to go at the right moment. They're just like how they had the Patriot yeah. Act written already before 9-11. And we're like, oh, yeah. we finally have a reason to use this. Right, exactly. You know? And and um, that that's worked out very well for them. Maybe they're going through a little rough patch right now. Yeah, but, I think that very know. rarely are like these policy things like just like at, in the moment, like after the fact. They're like, How, what do we do mm-hmm. about this? Oh, we'll do this. I feel like it's always like, you know, that they just so happen to like have the perfect plan, you know, that they're a bit obsessed with for their entire careers beforehand. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, uh, oh, what a great opportunity to invade Iraq. It just so happens that I've been like, you know, oh, like the Gifted only, yeah, like they're like the only thing. logical response to this is that we should invade Iraq, which just incidentally is the thing I've been obsessed with doing for the last 30 years, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, Like this is my wildest dream, like my one true wish and like the whole, like in the goal of my life. And it just so happens to be the only possible way to respond to this crisis. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like it's the only thing that makes sense and everything else is literally insane. So, uh, yeah. uh, do you want to read the next question? Sure. Real Dominic is asking, I would be interested to hear the host dive into the whole blood over intent thing. Seems like there's already been one killing regarding it. It's kind of a YouTube specific satanic blood cult. This high schooler who had like a blood over intent and smoking cigs fetish YouTube channel is one example of the Dracularity. Uh, did he post the video? Um, I I post well I don't know if they posted Gizmodo a video. Article. Is I posted a Gizmodo article I just found from 2018 called "The Blood Ritual That Lives on YouTube." Yeah, I actually I have hadn't some been knowledge aware of, this. of this. It seems like it's kind of like yeah, like occult TikTok, like you know the kind yeah. of like thriving community, but like it's a very like dark iteration of that. Basically, like it seems to me that what the name means. I haven't actually like read uh, a confirmation of this, but. Uh, the, what their name seems to mean is that like they pour the blood or like over the intent, you know, like the blood is spilled over the intent and that Uh allows the intent to manifest. Like basically it's blood magic that they're performing like the same way that like, you know, you'll see TikTok, which is witch talk, 
like write like you know things over and over in their diary to like manifest stuff it's like a form of like the manifestation thing that people are like very into but it's like you know a bloodletting based form of that and there's also a guy at the center of it who claims to be like the devil incarnate and uh you know uh what's his name what is his name um he did say that he was satan right um, oh, uh, are you talking about Mark Braun, also known as Quasi Luminous? Yes, Quasi Luminous. Okay. Yes, <laughs> correct. Yeah, Quasi Luminous. Yeah, he, he, he posts on his YouTube channel. I'm reading a Pando article now from this year about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he posts on his YouTube about how he is Satan, the epitome of evil, and the prince of darkness over all of the earth. Um, through Braun's decision to spill his blood, he became a man who has power over heaven and earth. The claims themselves do sound ludicrous, but they've attracted at least a few observers of his ideas. Um, so he started this in 2016. And yeah, like what they do in Gizmodo. Uh, this channel no longer exists. Uh, Quasi Luminous oh, really? has been, yeah, he's been bounced. Oh, off he, he got bounced. Uh, well, you know, know they say that in some form. this know. community has dangerous connections to flat earthers and like, oh, wow. the kind that's, of the new age QAnon that's thing. It. Yeah, no. Nope. Yeah, now he's gone yeah, too far. Yeah, you cannot say the earth is flat. Yeah, worshiping the devil, like that's fine. Uh, but saying the earth is flat, that's that's anti-truth. That's, you know, anti-Christ yeah. crusade. Um, oh wow so these these are actually banned off of um oh they're not banned actually i just have to quick click through a viewer discretion thing um this version uh, i got quasi luminous doesn't exist i mean there's many no he doesn't know quasi luminous is quasi luminous is gone there's a lot of photos there's ton of there's tons of stuff including positive stuff that comes up like right away on youtube yeah yeah Um, not just not quasi luminous himself whose videos i wanted to watch but yeah i remember reading that that he um you know, had claimed to be the devil. This is a very interesting quote from that article that you just mentioned, the Pandy article, um, where uh, while many channels have posted footage of this ritual, uh, which is, you know, spilling blood. Um, yeah, you know, I'm watching one right now. It's creepy. Some appear, uh, you know, uh, it's not entirely clear whether they're doing it at bronze behest. Some appear to be adherent to the world as hologram thesis, which promotes a notion that the world around us does not physically exist, but as an illusion. All right. Others mm-hmm. see it as a spiritual battle with Satan as their leader. There is no canon text for any of this. But what is the same across all these channels is that blood matters and that spilling blood has power. Mm. That's not how Devin Maggi explains it, however. Maggi, also known as Flat Earth Paradise on YouTube, is a recently active creator in his community. Mag G was an earlier BOI practitioner in 2016, in 2016, preaching the power of blood over intent in his channel to others. However, Mag G told Pando Daly that he stepped away from that movement due to it becoming a cult like you must do this sort of practice. That's funny. Like that it became cult like. Yeah, it seemed normal. Like it seemed chill. <laughs> like I was all about like promoting it to everybody when it was just like some guy saying he was Satan and that all I needed to do was cut myself. And so I could be one of like the, you know, the 14 uh, of like uh, 144,000 who will be saved or something. Uh, yeah, this is creepy. Uh, Maggie drinks uh, one glass of his urine a day. I just saw that. <laughs> nice. Okay. And he runs something called the Sophia Sanctuary in Ur- in Oregon that is a women's, spelled with a Y, temple in nice. Eugene that celebrates all sacred paths and women in all stages of life. Some of our rituals are women only. Oh, I bet he could, he jumps in and joins. Um, God, this is so sus. Uh, SS, Sophia Sanctuary. Um yeah, it's like it's all over. 
It's been founded in 2002. There's also a Gaia Sophia Sanctuary, but maybe that's different. It's a, it is a 501c3. Wow, that is creepy. Yeah, he drinks his urine and he organized the Sophia Sanctuary, a private location in Oregon designed to allow seekers to spend time considering the spiritual realities that Maggie claims to broadcast to his viewers. The sanctuary does not appear to come at a cost, although its location is kept private due to a desire to only accommodate those who, quote, already have been on this path of divine reclamation. Great. Mag- Maggie was not willing to provide <clears throat> any specific numbers of attendees, although he claims that only one in 50 are accepted. So it is kind of a spinning off. Oh, they got a quote from Rick Allen Ross, the uh, cult expert here. I'm seeing some quasi-luminous reposts, at least. You know, people have reposted, like the the Emerald Tablets of Thoth. Great. Um, Okay. It seems like this is kind of, like, very similar to, like, you know, what you'll see about, like, reality shifting or manifesting, where, like, you know, maybe quasi-luminous is one of the biggest proponents of it and, like, one of the biggest figures in it, but also, like, it's a whole nebula of things like around the idea i mean really the ancient idea that there's like power in like the spilling of blood i mean this is like a perfect example of something that's like incredibly like horrible <laughs> like i just think <laughs> this is like extremely dangerous and poisonous and this a great example news. of how satan is a computer or you know uh <laughs> the way in which yeah. satan is a computer or you know that he loves the computer uh, to be more accurate he uh, loves this is it. awful uh, like, yeah, uh, this is this is where uh, maybe this isn't the seek help part of the pyramid, the conspiracy pyramid. Yeah, this is where this the seek help should be. Um, I think you know anything that like, you know, I mean, blood definitely does have power. Like uh, that's true, but you know, usually the way that these bloodletting rituals and like, you know, I know that they're probably not like bleeding themselves to the point of death or anything, but it seems like this is just like really gravitated around like things that are not only like, you know, this like uh, the occult element of like worshiping a single person as Satan and like also just like doing the self-harming behavior to like manifest, like manifest like magical energies, like just seems bad bad i noticed Uh, in the comment section of gizmodo uh, a user named miles wrote lol can't believe i'm seeing this here so bizarre i did it there are gains to be had but selling a piece of yourself for a little power and sight just not a good idea and somebody asked what kind of gains have you witnessed and they said coming to conclusions without experience try thinking for yourself the world really opens up sight better understanding it's uh Okay, never mind. He he, that was replying to somebody else. But when they asked, like, what gains did you witness? He said, "Sight, better understanding. It's not something most people I know have a use for. Although, who trust their preferred sources of media? The soap opera is real for most. Also, I expect most to just be taking the piss. But in case you're actually interested, please don't do it. There are better ways if you're into thinking for yourself, gathering your own data, and building your own belief system. Okay, well, you know." <laughs> the, they don't seem to have enjoyed it. Um, you know, not the most yeah. profound statement, but like, uh, yeah, it's, a, I don't know. It just, I don't see anything good coming out of that. No, <laughs> like, uh, the, no. the guy who says he's a personification of Satan telling you to cut your hand open over yeah. intention you wrote on a piece of paper. That seems like some satanic tech, uh, influence happening 
and uh, yeah, it Subliminal seems like Jihad just one of those absolutely it. no Subliminal Jihad <laughs> definitely <laughs> cannot endorse blood over intent. Uh, yeah, I think we can actually issue maybe a condemnation uh, sure. on this front. Uh, we can issue a fatwa. Yeah, exactly. Our fatwa <laughs> is uh, don't get into blood over intent. Seems horrible. Don't go uh, to Sophia Sanctuary. Yeah, and it is amazing that like this is something that you can find like quite easily like uh, on YouTube still, despite like uh, them tamping down flat earth or whatever uh it's a little wild that you can still watch it with a little like mm, you know well you know what like warning beforehand probably because like you know i mean they're as ludicrous like you know they they called their beliefs ludicrous but i think that no it probably actually does work and i think that like the people in silicon valley like know that it, it works um, oh my god i'm sure that it, they <laughs> you think they peter thiel like cuts you know, his yeah, blood boy's hand exactly open the type of over <laughs> like this an is nft exactly the type of thing i mean you know, I'm reminded weirdly of those Army Hammer like DMs that were leaked. You know, I'm uh, such a that were like all about. I'm so yeah, exactly. Like I think that, I mean, there's a book that might be interesting to read. Like on the podcast at one point, it's simply called like Blood. Uh, it's by uh, the guy who wrote the book, Semites. He's a little bit of like a weird. Um, you know, I'm trying to remember. Well, titles uh, like that. I'm yeah, I'm trying to, like, um, well, uh, no. Blood was, and what, Semite. Okay. Well, Semites uh, was all about, like, the idea of, it was a, it's an interesting, like, historical book, you know. He's a little bit of, like, uh, a, like, idiosyncratic writer, but it wasn't, like, you know, uh, a weird, uh, it wasn't weird in that way. It wasn't weird, like, uh, Miguel Serrano or something. Um it was like, you know, a study of the concept of the Semite, like historically. Uh, yeah, it's by Gil Anadjar. Um, and he wrote a book called Blood, which was all about, uh, yeah, it's called Blood, a critique of Christianity. But I think that it's like more than uh, just like, you know, what the subtitle would imply. It's, uh, you know, really just about like the uh, like importance of blood as like a concept, like, you know, uh, throughout like, uh, you know, what you might call uh, Western culture, um, you know, which really is like Christianate culture. Um, you know, yeah, you uh, drink the blood. Yeah, yeah, you do. I mean, well, yeah, exactly. Like you can't really say that, like if you're, uh, you know, a Christian, you couldn't really say that blood. And, you know, in Islam, like there's examples like, uh, you know, Metem, like uh, in Shiism, like they'll, uh, sometimes like they'll, they'll, uh, hurt themselves, uh, you know, extreme ecstatic Sufis sometimes will like hurt themselves or or bloodlet like in that state, you know? So it's not a practice that's unknown to non-Christian religions because I think that it actually is true that like there is like power, uh, in blood, but, uh, you know, I think that sort of without like any kind of like structure for it or worse, like a perverted structure, like around some freak on YouTube, like especially, and also just like, I don't know, in general, like it seems dark uh, and yeah. just well, like a speak- nightmare manifestation. Yeah. Speaking of the darkness, um, this has been in the news recently. I just put a, a Vice article in the workflow from March of 2021. This one's a doozy. And uh, unfortunately, the satanists have never heard a satanist has never heard anybody crowd is going to have to take another l because uh the title here is teen accused of stabbing student to death was into online blood rituals and conspiracies a month before a 17 year old student was stabbed to death in alberta the accused share online videos promoting conspiracy theories and participated in a youtube blood ritual so dylan uh dylan pountney 19 
shared content on social media promoting debunked theories about the Earth being flat, <laughs> world leaders that's being... That's a debunked rep- theory. Yeah, if anything yeah. is debunked. Uh. <clears throat> Debun- debunked theories about the Earth being flat, world leaders being <laughs> I love reptilian the idea, shapeshifters. Like, of calling that debunked. Like, we really uh, yeah. need to retire the word debunked if we're at the I point know. of being, like, the idea the Earth is flat is debunked. Like, yes, right, okay. Great, thank yeah. you. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, sorry. Yeah. So yeah. debunk theories about the Earth being flat, world leaders being reptilian shapeshifters, and the U.S. election being quote stolen from Donald <laughs> Trump. <laughs> Again, also, like I just yeah. love the juxtaposition of that. Like, yeah. okay, yeah. the world is flat. Those three things. It's ruled by reptoids. Like, who the <laughs> fuck cares about the election? <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, but they gotta okay. mention it. This is, this uh, yeah, is where it leads. Right. Drum. Uh, he, he also participated in a YouTube blood ritual established by a man who claims to be the reincarnation of Satan. Police were called to Christ the King High School. Oh, so they're Catholic. Ooh. I love that he worships Satan and he, like, is upset about the election being stolen. Like, <laughs> I feel like he's the only Satanist, like, who's also, like, into QAnon, if that's even, like, you know. Maybe. He might just be schizophrenic. Well, and, besides Jim Watkins. Um, yeah, besides Jim Watkins. Well, you definitely know. in the Temple of Set. Uh, uh, I, no, actually, he well, is an occultist. The, 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 the person found all his, like, social media posts, so I feel hmm. vindicated. Anyways, police say? were called. He was like, I'm doing, uh, he, he has a name, he I called himself Xerxes. Like his, okay. his Instagram account is like Xerxes Watkins, and he posted some occult shit. Anyways, uh, okay. Police were called to Christ the King High School in Leduc on March 15th after 17-year-old Jennifer Winkler was stabbed by a fellow student. The suspect fled the school. Police arrested him in a nearby neighborhood. More than two hours later, Pountney is facing one count of first-degree murder. Quote. I'm serious when I say this. The world has already ended, Pountney said, shirtless and pensive, in a 20-minute video posted February 25th. Quote, the world is in a state of upheaval. We're trapped in our bodies. We're trapped in an iron grid. If I were to start a war, I would do it silently, just like the rulers did, by means of fluoridation, by means of chemtrails, by means of false food. Pountney also promoted more obscure conspiracy theories. One posits that most people in on Earth are, quote, human prison bars or inhuman beings existing to keep NPCs. real humans in line. Yeah, they're NPCs. Yeah. Another claims people are, quote, gang-stalked or surveilled by demons. Experts say ideas like these are dangerous and spreading quickly. And uh, let's see. Yeah, it mentions the Nashville bomber who believed in lizard people and a bunch of, like, serious experts saying that you know, this could lead to violence mm-hmm. and, you know, this is all dangerous. Certainly can't. I mean, literally cutting yourself is violence, uh, like bleeding for your intent. I'm looking at the Xerxes Watkins Instagram right now. I'm still looking for, well, it seems like he's huge into yoga. I'm seeing like yeah. endless yoga shit here, uh-huh, uh, which, exactly. you know, is a bit, yeah. Uh, manifest destiny on a shirt. He's a Satanist. He loves <laughs> He's a yoga. Satanist. He's a Satanist. I'm, I'm calling it. I'm calling it right uh, now. I'm putting possible. my money down. He is a Satanist, and he's twisting his eyebrows as a tribute to Michael. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, I mean, it, it's too. It's too obvious. Um, okay. So the 19-year-old, the murderer, uh, in one video posted to YouTube a week before the stabbing, he cuts his finger and bleeds onto a handwritten letter that reads, "I spill my blood to bring forth." Uh, spelled wrong uh heaven on earth for the benefit spelled wrong of all thank you mr satan <laughs> um i feel at the like end, he uh, wait wait at the end he says yeah, wait, wait, at the wait. end he says our movement is growing no mm. wow and yeah, yeah. 
Well, see, this is a great example where, yeah, I think you actually are right that, like, there is a satanic element to people who are, like, so afraid of the satanic pedos that they're going to, like, lock their kids in the garage and let the car run and, uh, you know, uh, suffocate them so they don't have to live under Joe Biden. I mean, it's very bizarre, but and there's a weird confluence between the way that these, like, so chaotic, like, these sort of new like explosive religious energies are where, mm-hmm. yeah, you have this bizarre convergence of like super opposition to Satanism. And then like people in some ways, like having the same kind of orienting ideas or like the same kind of weird uh, circulating the memes of like, you know, to just repeat robotically, like uh, Tulsi talking about regime change wars. They just like say like the election <laughs> was stolen. Like, yeah. Even though, like, you know, that has no relevant, like, there, there's no real relevance between that and, like, you're worshiping Satan and, like, loving Mr. Satan or, or whatever. Thank like, you, uh, Mr. Satan. Yes, it's, uh, yeah. it's very, very bizarre. It's um, so confused, right? Like, it's, like, yeah. we've lost even the plot. Like, QAnon seems fantastically coherent compared to this guy. Being yeah, like, well, Janu- because... You know, the election was rigged and Satan, please give me the power to, like... So well, I, can I don't. In hell. I don't necessarily think that this is a separate phenomenon. I almost think that you could say that there is. I think that there's kind of like a great awakening in a way happening, but like there is no structure at all. And that's not to say that like within sort of systems of orthodoxy or sort of structuration or uh, you know, institutionalized channels for those energies. There aren't, like, bad things that happen and, you know, abusives and, uh, you know, that those, like, you know, nothing is, no institution is really free of, like, bad things happening uh, in it, you know? No institution is perfect. However, like, it's just chaos, absolute madness, and really dangerous when you just have this uncontrolled explosion of, like, all these memes in all these directions and yeah i think that you know shaitan is like delighted and just like prancing around in his fairy circle uh with delight over (laughs) over that you know and yeah i think it's a great example of how like you know like as we said before like just because someone like says they're opposed to satan like okay well someone like with the exact same beliefs is like committing murders like in the name of mr satan like, you know, Michael Flynn is, like, ranting and raving about the sevenfold archangels and the points of light, like, quoting Elizabeth Clare Prophet, you know, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. you know, it's weird, yeah. I but I think, as you know. As Bob Dylan said, sometimes Satan comes as a man of peace. Yeah, it's He true. would know. Um, mm-hmm. Also, uh, Pountney, the murderer, mentioned in a video on February 15th that he was taking escitalopram i.e. Lexapro, mm. SSRI, the mm. murder pill. The murder um, pills, I don't know. But he was taking it for, <laughs> like it, it just like like he said he was taking it for PTSD. Mm. And he said that, that that drug, being on that drug, along with doing blood over intent, opened up a, quote, flow of information and pathway of memories. Mm. Okay, that that is kind of sus. What it, like, he had recovered memories and he had, P, he's a teenager, had PTSD, I wonder, and, yeah, what the uh, nature of it was. I don't know. I mean, Esotel is like a pretty mild memories. drug. It seems yeah, like he had issues yeah. like beforehand. I mean, I don't know. He could have been like a huge dose of it, uh, but like, or he—I yeah. don't know if he had been abused because, like, you know, PTSD, like, yeah, depression. I mean, yeah, I mean, could just be mm-hmm. a sad, sad zoomer who lost. It doesn't say anything in here, kind of like why he murdered. Uh, yeah, she died at the hospital. 
they knew each other, the, the victim and suspect knew each other, but the police would not elaborate on their connection. Mm-hmm. And they weren't going to give any more details on the case. These tight-lipped Canadians, man. Yeah. Yeah. I don't wow. know. There's something... So they knew each other, but then... Um, huh. In a Facebook profile photo, Pountney poses in front of a whiteboard quoting Jesus speaking to St. Faust, saying, quote, I am more generous toward sinners than toward the just. It was for their sake that I came down from heaven. It was for their sake that, all ca- in caps, my blood was spilled. Yeah. Well, he, you know, there you go. Yeah. Uh, well, like, again, this is... Uh, yeah, like this idea of blood having arcane power, like, I mean, it goes back pretty far, like, to animal sacrifice. And then, of course, Jesus, you know, the whole idea of Jesus as being the lamb. Yeah. Because he's a sacrificial blood. lamb, you know, it's a, a metaphor or, you know, an analog with being a sacrificial animal, which is a form of, like, magical or, yeah, magical practice, basically. Um, that's its original context. It can also, you know, be a form of like propitiation to, you know, a deity of some, in some way, various deities. Yeah. Uh, so but, maybe, it, maybe it has an effect, but don't do it. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't think it's, uh, bad to sacrifice animals like on Adel Adha to eat, you know, distribute to the poor. Again, like, you know, we have like structures, we have okay. Ijma, we have agreement, you know, that's one thing, but and, and you know, I, I like, I think like there's, I'm not saying, gonna say like that. I think this is definitely way worse than the Eucharist. Like, I'm not all about like the blood obsession in general. Like, I'm not, you know, the fixation with it. blood, but uh, I'm not like super down with that. But I definitely put this uh, below uh, just like the, the, the weirdness of like the whole uh, Eucharist to me. You can definitely see the resonances with it. And I think that. It's, I mean, you know, people will say, like, this is ludicrous, but it's actually, like, one of the oldest, it's a very serious idea, and it's oh, one that, yeah. like, suffuses our Catholic. culture at the deepest <laughs> level. I think we should, like, you know, at one point, like, read that, yeah, exactly, ask any Catholic, you know, consider that uh, book, uh, Blood, because that's something that definitely comes strongly to mind, because it's not, even though it has an edgy subtitle of, like, Critique of Christianity, which makes it sound like the God delusion or something, like, it's really mm-hmm. about, like, the way that Christianity uh, is embedded in, you know, like it t- there's a whole chapter about Dracula itself, you know, actually, mm. you know, uh, and considering the motif and the image of blood in, in that light, uh, it's, yeah, it's an interesting read. Um, I think that there could be uh, something to uh, consider, uh, a good, interesting lens to consider the blood over intent phenomenon. Yeah, I would, okay. I would definitely give a fatwa against blood over intent uh, <laughs> for sure, because you don't need to be doing this. <laughs> You don't need to be it, cutting yourself and to manifest things. Yeah. Yeah. You're worshiping Mr. Satan. You're entering into his thrall. Like just, yeah. No, just don't, just don't, just don't, don't get like, ask your, anything from Mr. You know, Satan. Like, I don't know. I like, uh, I'm trying to be open-minded, you know, obviously in my heart, I'm like a theocrat monster who's just <laughs> like, you know, so oppressive and prudish and, uh, you know, you uh, just like uh, backward and bad, but you know, I'm just, I'm just saying like, you know, uh, there is something to be said for things that are like tried and true, you know, like uh, <laughs> things that like are have a, a, a nice history to them, you know, that uh, have been established like for for a while. Like, you know, uh, I think there's there's something to to that. And, you know, th- that these kind of things are, are evaluated. They uh, they have a, a nice uh, 
what would you say, like a good record, you know, whereas like running off to Dr. Greer or like to, you know, yeah. some fool on YouTube or like some teen on TikTok or something yeah. to tell you something like, it, it, you know, it's we're, really not we're too in different a great from what, open frontier of like religious experimentation now. Yeah, I mean, where it's people really have not access too to so much like esoteric shit that you would have had to really try hard to hunt down, like even thirty years ago, much less like a hundred years ago. Now it's just like you could just putz around on the internet on TikTok for a half hour and like yeah, learn about like the O nine A and like how you can like cut your hand open to like no, absolutely. Bring a gym, In fact, it'll help you like get a boyfriend or something. It actually reminds <laughs> me of how like so many people like self mutilated when I was in high school and cut themselves. Same. You know? That was like, a huge thing in the 2000s. Yeah, it was a thing, and I think that there was like an element of like it being kind of like a clickish type thing or like you know a social. There's a social aspect to it where mm. you know yeah. people would get the idea from others and like you know not to say that like that isn't a, a behavior you can develop to deal with your pain as like a way of self-punishing you know it's obviously maladaptive but you know uh just like it it definitely there was an element of social contagion to it but i feel like that's yeah. just now like exploded onto a mass scale like, Amplified. on the internet, and now it has a whole new dimension of, like, we're gonna meet Draco Malfoy by, like, invoking Satan through our blood sacrifice. Yeah, or like, I'm it's not just like I'm depressed. Like, yeah, it's not I'm just, like, I'm depressed. I'm gonna give myself a, a DID. Like, you know, <laughs> or yeah, or, like, it's, yeah. I wanna, yeah. like, develop altars. Like, I just want, I wanna invite an entity into my mind. Like, just, you know, go to your local mosque, ask for a copy <laughs> of the Quran. <laughs> <laughs> you know uh yeah i know it's a simple solution just but, do uh, it just okay. you know you know yeah. go on youtube search how to pray muslim <laughs> um okay well good. i think we have time for one more question here okay. and it kind of connects to an uh, right. i think uh, near the shot. beginning of the episode okay. so um it's from Sir Brainy. They asked, how sus do you find zero books to be under the post Mark Fisher owner? Or do you consider Fisher sus also? I consider fish sus and I consider zero books to be, yeah, you know, I'm not going to do that. Um, Alan Moore hedge where I'm like, well, you know, they're mostly benign. Uh, you know, they have some weird ideas. They publish some bullshit. Uh, and you know, but I wouldn't say that they're, well, you know, I would definitely even put zero books worse than that. So I probably wouldn't have said that about zero books anyway. But, you know, yeah, I, I, I would say, like, they're pretty sus in terms of, like, the stuff, some of the stuff that they publish, zero books, you know, not all of it. Like, you know, they publish a, a, a swath of things, but there's, like, some, like, stuff that yeah. comes out of zero books that I would say is, like, no thanks. I don't think I was ever aware of them, like, before Mark Fisher died, but they were one of the early podcasts I would listen to. That's my main, like involvement with zero or like paying attention mm -hmm. to zero books at all because i remember that in like the kind of like the the pre-dirtbag left like the pre-chapo days there were Weird not very many lovecraft and philosophy i'm just looking at their recent publications yeah. oh yeah yeah Weird um realism. lovecraft and philosophy. yeah i mean they were they were they kind of stood poised to to sort of i don't know benefit from the wave of interest in mark fisher in like the mid to late 2010s and I guess Douglas Lane is the guy now who runs it. And he does the podcast as well. And mm -hmm. he was one of the only people you could find kind of that would like call themselves a Marxist who was like a podcaster. 
kind of, or I don't know, he called himself a vulgar Marxist. Mm -hmm. And so I, I listened to it for a while. I mean, I think we've referenced it before. Uh, I think it was like C. Derek Varn and that show that had that thing about how conspiracies can't exist beyond 50 people, Mm -hmm. which the one who said that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. He's the one who said that. Um, yeah. And I mean, uh, he seems like a real smart guy. He knows a lot, but he just has that kind of framework of like, nope, it can't happen. Never happened. You know, uh, it will be found out, which I find to be, I think we both find a little bit uh, laughable uh, as, you know, as a way to brush aside like any kind of vast like ruling class conspiracy or nefariousness um how sus are they i mean i don't know like he was just getting in a i think he got ratioed recently for saying something about dave Chappelle, and so he's kind of waded into what did he say what side of the the all-important Chappelle debate did he fall on (laughs) i believe he was on the pro dave Chappelle side in classic gen x fashion he's very he's very like Gen X Portland kind of energy. Well, yeah, I, I don't feel mean like that that's as a total kind of insult, what, like, but you know, zero like, books is they're like kind of like a, a mod, a slightly toned down Nick Land where they're like, we're gonna play a little bit with like you know the woke orthodoxy, but like most of what they publish is just fluff. I f- you know it's a similar statement where I feel like yeah, that's really what I uh, had the same kind of impulse about Alan Moore. Like some there's like ideas in here that i would like not you know i think are probably like ultimately like harmful or like not good like uh or poor analyses that like become popular like mark fisher's or angela nagel's uh, yeah they publish like a bunch angela of bullshit nagel about, like how cool it is like you know it just some of it is just like ultimately like benign crap about like how you can use like a, a tentacle demon as like a tool for philosophy you know like a lovecraft so cool and philosophical <laughs> the most uh you know cutting edge amazing idea um yeah, yeah, I don't, um, I, I don't know. I mean, they they seem like, uh, and I know that they really like Zizek, you know. Yeah. They, they kind of were the elders of like, you know, Un- it's like fucking work. Cool. How to fix it for good. I'm just reading some <laughs> of these cool titles here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess it, it's no verso, you know, but yeah. I, I would put verso in a more like nefarious category. Um, you know. They won't publish Lacerdo. They're cowards. But yeah, I don't know. Zero books like it's uh, th- they engage with like Marxist adjacent stuff. I've learned things sometimes from listening to it. Is it super sus? I just think that I don't know. I, I feel that there there's a certain type of like Marxism. And I think they do talk about this a lot, but kind of the era from like the nineties and the two thousands being extremely moribund for like the left in like the West basically. Mm-hmm. And how they're kind of going back towards like, Oh, like a re-embrace of, of like Marxist ideas, but they're still very kind of trapped in the kind of like easygoing electoralism that like oh, would lead people to I feel to like, like they're Bernie. kind of like all about, I feel like they're a little bit adjacent to like, uh, you know, like, black block type like anarchism you know they are i think i think lane was involved in like green anarchism in like the 90s like and then eventually like later drifted more towards like marxism which hey i'm seeing uh one of their recent publications uh all things are nothing to me uh the unique philosophy of max cerner uh with that awesome picture of him on oh (laughs) that's Uh, hilarious uh okay so are are they standing are they defending Cerner? well but again you know they publish a bunch of people like you can't assume that all these people are a monolith Again, you know, it's kind of like 
a lot of it probably like it's benign like you know it's kind of like it's you know there might be some sussness to be found in the catalog it's obviously like an institution so it's much broader than someone like alan moore is like an individual uh and by the same token like broader in its influence but you know like middle of the road sus like not to say something of value to be found in any zero book publication even the ones that like you know by and larger dumb might have a kernel of something good or by and larger sus might have a kernel of something it's true i don't want to attack like i feel like like book publishing it's like a little mean to be like kicking them while they're down like the industry while it's down sort of it's like they're like i don't know i feel like five more years there could be like no book publishing like companies anymore (laughs) you know what i mean like like you just subscribe to kindle or something and so these like scrappy little outfits it's like yeah you know i think they might publish some good stuff they might publish some sus shit um i I mean i think they i think the only time i interacted with doug lane was i asked him why he was ignoring like red kahina's criticisms (laughs) (laughs) i don't think he ever responded to me Uh, but you know it's uh We'll never yeah. know why. Um, I mean, well, dude, come on. Like, if you're going to keep talking, keep invoking Zizek. Like, he's this, like, great August, like, Marxist thinker. But then, like, never, I don't know. Like, it just critique him or anything like that. Or, you know, like, think about him in the broader socialist context, which I feel like Zizek, Zizek himself, like, doesn't really do that often. Like, he never talks about fucking Yugoslavia. I've complained about that before. Yeah. Like, you were, like, cheering, like, the breakup of, like, socialist Yugoslavia, like, ironically, in, like, the 80s, Zizek. So, like, why don't you ever talk about that? Wasn't that, don't you regret that, Zizek? Like, but, you know, I don't know. You're Slovenian. Maybe you don't regret it because you're a chauvinist. Um, I don't know. I mean, whatever. It's a, hmm. uh, <laughs> it's, it's whatever. Not trying to start any beef, you know. Yeah. Uh, kill all normies, whatever. Uh, Angela Nagel. I don't know. It's like they are kind of. There's there's sort of like a post lefty kind of thing, but like they're not actually like directly that associated with. Yeah. Like I don't know, like Amy Therese or whatever. Oh no, know. they're not nearly on that level. No, exactly. They're like a toned down sort of like you know a little bit like playing with it kind of like they're open to some of the post-leftist stuff and i mean like again like not everything like the orthodox like you know what the post-left considers to be the left like what amy therese means when she talks about the left like they're not like you know above criticism doesn't mean that everything amy says about like what she means when she says the left aka like all democrats and everyone to the left of them uh in a broad sense like you know doesn't mean all of her criticisms are wrong even though she's obviously out of her mind uh in many ways and like friends with total freaks but yeah uh, yeah i don't i don't see zero books having like adrian vermule on the podcast you know no they would not do that i don't think Uh, they would do that it it wouldn't be like a chummy situation i mean you know yeah i think they'd have a little repartee like yeah i clash yeah again similar like, you know, I think that, but like, I'm not going to say like what I'm going to say about Blood Over and 10. I wouldn't say like boycott zero books, uh, but also don't, <laughs> zero books. also don't necessarily uh, adopt a zero book like Mark Fisher or Angela Nagel as like your ethical lodestar in the same way that like, you know, you shouldn't worship a snake that appears to you, <laughs> you know, might actually be a vampire itself. Exactly. A vampire castle. Yeah. Do not. Yeah. Avoid. Yeah. 
And yeah, I mean, Mark Fisher, we've already talked about, I think in a previous Q&A episode, we went on quite a tear about Mark Fisher and his acid communism. Yes, we talked about him at quite, yeah, over two episodes, actually, because I was like, yeah, (laughs) I mean, that is interesting going Um, kind of full circle from like the the Vampire Castle essay being kind of about like wokeness and then, you know, fast forward zero hedge is like planting their flag or not zero hedge, <laughs> zero books. Oops. Um, zero books. They're kind of planting their flag, like in defense of like Dave Chappelle and like mm-hmm. against cancel culture, call out culture. But I, it does feel kind of in like this kind of sincere, like Gen Xy way of like, Hey man, I thought it was all about like, you know, letting people like speak their mind and like, you know, like, like there's, there's still a, a holding on to an earlier era where these things hadn't gotten so sharp and like weaponized and they're just kind of lamenting it. But I don't know, like you, you can only go so far in lamenting it. Also like, you know, you run the risk of, uh, I think if you, if you accept like the right wing framework of the critique of like cancel culture, yeah, then you get into and some you weird get, like, waters mired down and like just endlessly like talking about fucking nothing. Yeah. If, if you cut the framework of like defending, you know, I use the example of like Spidey's blackness a little bit earlier, but like, you know, or let's say like Dave Chappelle or something, you know, if you're just going back and forth about this type of thing. I don't know. I feel like that's like a time sink and like kind of ultimately a distraction. And I also think like, some of the things that they dip their toes into, like, uh, just, like, the whole thing of, like, speculative realism, which we mentioned. I think that that's just kind of, like, insert, like, jack-off hand motion, you know? Like, uh, <laughs> again, I would think, I think you'd be better off, like, going to the local mosque, uh, asking for a copy of the crime. <laughs> uh, you know, Just but, go to your local, you know, used bookstore and uh, buy some buy some old paperback copies of some leftist shit and- well, you never know, though. You might end up with, like, you know, Lovecraft and philosophy or, like, you know, uh, how to undermine capitalism by thinking about, like, the Church of Starry Wisdom and, like, uh, <laughs> or something like that, you know. I will say, uh, just on, a like, a vain note, like, I, I don't like the aesthetic that they release all their books in. I feel like they can oh, use a makeover. Gross covers, yeah. They're, they're like just kind of gross. Like they're, they're it's like a weird font. Yeah, very boring. And like often the topics that they're that are inside the books are at least a lot more colorful than the yeah. covers would suggest. I don't understand. Yeah, what that about? Just need, you know, yeah, they need friendly a new criticism. Art department. Yeah, yeah. Hit up a harmless civilian. Get some get some updated cover art. Is this a book of fiction? No, it's a book of criticism and metaphysics entitled Night. Volume 2. To enter the many experiential chambers of night, space, silence, cruelty, secrecy, and thereby confront a vision of the end of worlds. Okay? They need to put, they, they need to do some semiotech shit or the, like, get some people to This book follows and expands on the boundaries of its precursor, Night, a philosophy of the after dark, by presenting a series of new conceptual territories, figures, sources, images, and imaginative possibilities. The central idea of Night is contemplated in its intricate relation to space, silence, cruelty, and secrecy, while also taking thought towards the futural limits of a vision of the last world. So, I mean, I'm sure there's, like, again, I'm sure there's interesting things in here, but, like, you know, for one, it seems also, like, kind of it might be about, like, not really that much. <laughs> you know, like, there might be interesting ideas in there, but I can see how, you know, it doesn't seem like it's, uh, it seems like it might need a bit of specificity or, you know, like, sort of 
meditations on these broad kind of concepts without any kind of like mooring, but maybe there is a socio-historical aspect to it. And I mean, I appreciate that people are still publishing books that are just called like just uh, characterized as being straight up metaphysics, you know, uh, that's a rare thing. So yeah, I'm not yeah. going to knock it wanna... too hard, but you know, there's a book, uh, that type of vibe, here... like the end of worlds, you know, it's all the apocalypse. Like, it's I mean, a, I think know. this, the, I, I think we do. Transcendental have to give them credit for... nihilism. <clears throat> you know, oh, sorry. We have to give them credit for this one. They have a book called too fat to go to the moon. Gay Sasquatch saved my life. <laughs> what is that a fiction or is that, I would assume it's fiction. Okay. That one actually does have more of a, I just don't like the font. I feel like they could change the font, you know? All right. like, anyways. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll yeah. Weird out, realism, guess. Lovecraft and philosophy. Awesome. No, I, yeah. I mean, I think it's nice that they, they publish like books that are, far out or whatever. unusual i just yeah, hope they're you know, i just hope they're far outside out the unusual. academic mainstream uh sure some somebody's ways, gotta yeah. do it you know i just yeah, wish you they might could end admit... up with a little bit of dross but there might be some gems in there too uh, yeah i just wish they would admit that conspiracies can happen with more than 50 people yes that's all i want from them yeah and they should add an islam section to their christianity and paganism section <laughs> They probably just should. to try to help a couple people out there who otherwise are gonna start doing other <laughs> intent by reading I <laughs> The end of every question today has been just like convert to Islam and um, <laughs> go to your local. Well, only mosque. once blooder intent like came up, then you know we it's passed true. the horizon of serious. like just needing to you know put our put my foot down. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. Fair enough. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I guess we could probably, I think, end it there for today. I think we yeah. got a decent amount of questions done. We did, yeah. I think. We did. Um, yeah, more than usual. More than usual. More than usual lately, anyway. Maybe we're getting back to our normal rate of at least 10 questions. Maybe we are. I think we, we almost got there. No, we, maybe we did today. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We did exactly 10. We did nice. 10 questions. Yeah. All right. Very cool. Well, thanks to the Grotto once again for for picking our brains and sending off uh, us off into spiral, digressive spirals of um, yeah. Dracularity. These, yeah, these yeah. episodes are really quite uh, an adventure. Um, they are. Yeah. They are, you never quite know what you're gonna get. True. Right. Yes. But we'll leave it there. We might maybe we'll do two next month. Maybe might do it again. It was yeah. so fun. <laughs> yes. Uh all right. But yeah, but for now we're going to go. That <laughs> just didn't make sense. Uh so <laughs> until next time, dear listeners, stay vigilant. Peace.
and God is empty, just like me.